Well, hello there, little masters, and welcome once again to the Prancing Pony Podcast, where tonight we're going to hold the glass of the good stuff in our left hands. <laughs> it's probably a good idea if we just get our Inigo Montoya references out of the way right now. What do you think, Alan? I agree, Sean. All right. I am not left-handed. <laughs> Very nicely done. Very well done. Uh, well, I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the Man of the West, the Aragorn's my AMR, Alan Sisto. Who is truly not left-handed. Thanks, Sean. Tonight, not yet. Not Well, we'll see, I guess. <laughs> Tonight, we finish up our read of Chapter 19 of The Silmarillion of Baron and Luthien. Now, it's our third episode on this chapter, so if you haven't listened to the previous two, uh, episodes 31 and 32, please check them out before you continue with this one. Otherwise, it would be like jumping straight into Return of the Jedi. The first thing you're going to wonder is, what happened to that Luke guy's hand? (laughs) (laughs) Very true. And if you have listened to the previous two, then you probably know what to expect by now. Uh, We've been taking the scenic route through this story that (laughs) Tolkien called the chief of the stories of the Silmarillion. Uh, Along the way, we've had a lot of fun. We've been reading not only from the Silmarillion, but also some of the poetry from the Lay of Lathian. And we'll get a chance to do a little bit more of that tonight. Yes. In fact, I think we're going to have a lot to read tonight because there's just so much. We may run long. Uh, We may. (laughs) That's like saying the Super Bowl might have some commercials. Yeah, they they Um, can't see your air quotes on a podcast, Alan. We may run long, (laughs) but hopefully you all won't mind. This really is a very important story. and We just want to make sure to cover it all. So we want to get started as soon as possible. But first, as always, we want to give old Barnum a chance. Sean, does he have anything in his bag for us tonight? Just a correction tonight, Alan. Uh, one of our listeners. I'm sorry. On a what? Twitter, a what? <laughs> that, that, that word that we never like to say. Correction. Uh, uh, correcting you, I suppose, right? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I, I'm I'm too ashamed to go back and listen to the episodes where we made the mistake. But, I am mortified. Yeah. <laughs> but one of our listeners on Twitter uh, wrote to us to let us know. Very politely, I would say uh, that we've been mispronouncing words again. Uh-oh. Um, there's a <laughs> there's a certain dwarven fortress in the arid Luin that we've been calling Bellaghost. Um, hmm. old, old Badger Brock. Uh, <laughs> Bellaghost. <laughs> Ghost. Um, <laughs> old Badger Brock, who uh, who's the listener, who, uh, gave us that incredible Archie Bunker joke that we ah, used last yes, episode. Yes. Yes. Um, uh, he alerted us to the fact that uh, the O in Belagost is what linguists call an open O, not a closed O, mm-hmm. um, or what we in modern yeah. English call a short O. Short O, o. yeah. So as I just said, it's it's actually Belagost, not Belagost. It rhymes with crossed, not toast. <laughs> so <laughs> so we're toast. Um, <laughs> I'm sure one of us probably said it right at least once. Uh, I'm but sure. I know I I know I've said it wrong before, so kind of invalidates the whole thing. <laughs> but it's weird because I don't think I ever say Osgiliath or mm. Ostenedil, no. uh, which are some other fortresses that have that same root in the name. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's that same root, OS or OST, which means fortress, fortress or castle. But for yeah. whatever reason, I've just got a mental block on Belagost. I guess. Well, you know, somehow I knew that, but I was deferring to your superior linguistic knowledge. Well, there's your problem. No more, sir. No more. <laughs> Seriously, I, I, I couldn't find a written rule on this. You know, I, I kind of looked around and tried to find, you know, in the pronunciation guides or some other place. But, but you're absolutely right. Uh, and in, in fact, I started listening to other examples and I realized we've made some other mistakes. We'll talk about one of those in a little bit. But mm-hmm. I did come up with a written rule. So we got to think this through a bit. There's think about Finrod, 
Fingon, mm-hmm. Fingolfin, Turgon. All of them have that short O sound, that aw. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. But what about the exceptions? Celeborn, Aragorn, mm-hmm. Melkor, Valinor, Noldor, yeah. and then a different category of exception, Ulmo. Um, okay, so some, yeah. some of those have an R after them. Some of them are just at the very end of All the All of them have an R except for Ulmo. Um, mm-hmm. And we even have the weird contradiction of Morgoth. Two O's, but each O is pronounced differently. Mm-hmm. And one of yeah. them is right before the O. So what's the difference? Here's the rule that I came up with based on every example I could find. And seriously, if I'm wrong on this, folks can can let me know. Uh, not that I'm wrong uh, hey. on this. They can know that I'm incomplete <laughs> or, or not quite hey, you're, perfect. We're, you're, you're doing your best to try and help the Tolkien community. <laughs> exactly. So here's a rule. With this helpful pronunciation tip. Ordinarily, the vowel O is pronounced as an open or short O, as in English, fog. But if the letter R follows the O, it is pronounced as in English, nor. Finally, so that's kind of like a diphthong. Okay. It's like an oa. Right, nor, right. Right? So if you think yeah. that through, like nor, you're not saying nor. You're not saying nor. You're There's saying nor. Yeah. There's an oa, yeah. but it's a diphthong. Yeah. And then finally, if the o is the last letter, if it's at the end of the word, like in ulmo, it's a long o as in English, foe. So I think that's that correct. That right. <laughs> <laughs> correct? I think so. <laughs> That sounds about right. Well, what does again, that mean anybody... about one of our more famous characters, huh? Well, yeah. Uh, one of our uh, friends that we visited quite a few times, we've been calling uh, old Namo. 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 Notice the, the O at the end. Namo. Yeah, there you go. Uh, we've been calling uh, poor Doomsman of the Valar Mandos from the very beginning. Yeah. And I think it's actually Mandos. Um, yeah. In fact, I, I know it's it Mandos because yeah. I. I went back and listened to some uh, Christopher Tolkien yeah. audio, and yeah. sure enough, it's Mandos as in Mandos. DOS, yeah. the old operating system. Which, oh, wow. Yeah, I, know I know I'm dating myself <laughs> with that one. <laughs> the old man. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's not DOS like your cough medicine. It's uh, it's DOS like um, yeah. that. Uh, like the old like operating what, system, what, yeah. what that kid uh, at your school had on his computer, you know, that kid that nobody <laughs> wanted to talk to. it's definitely not <laughs> Sean. Man Windows. <laughs> no. Man Windows 3.11 for work groups. Man, man no. Windows. Man, well, Mandos. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope that Manda, uh, <clears throat> or Mandos will not judge us too harshly <laughs> and enable us to be re- rebodied fairly quickly. Uh, yes. But good timing on this because I think we'll be saying his name a little bit tonight. So, Yes, we will. Well, and you know, before we move on, I, I do have one other announcement that's really <laughs> – I'm just still blown okay. away by this. You know, we have been on the air oh. for a year now. Uh, our first episode released on February 21st, 2016, and here we are just a few days after that. I'm yeah. stunned. I know we joke a lot and we talk about the 11 of you that are listening. And <laughs> and if you are, you're downloading it a lot. <laughs> like just download it and keep it because I don't know. What, <laughs> but you don't have to re-download it every time. <laughs> really, you don't because we're closing in. I can't believe this number on 55,000 downloads in our first year. Wow. Which is just stunning considering we only release every two weeks. Um, wow. I, I'm just – I'm blown away. And yeah. I want to thank all of you listeners so much for helping us grow. Your your comments, your social media shares, your <clears throat> your uh, iTunes reviews, super helpful. <laughs> Though really there are only 19 of those. And if we've got 1,000 or 2,000 listeners out there, come on. Come on. Get, throw we, us a review. We, we could – we could really, really use those reviews. <laughs> they do help. Seriously, they help. Because when somebody goes really on and, and searches for a Tolkien podcast, uh, that's going to certainly help in um, you know in terms of the algorithm uh, where we show up. Yeah, right. Uh, exactly. And we think we're 
one of the better ones out there right now, or certainly one of only a handful that are active. So that are that are still going on, right? Yeah. That are you know yeah. recording and releasing new episodes. So please, uh, you know, give us a shout out uh, on iTunes, even if you don't listen to us through that. But yeah, yeah, really yeah, shocked, really Im- just amazed, incredible. And it's incredible grateful. that we, yeah, definitely. I mean. It's incredible that we've been doing this for a year now. Um, it's, really it's even, the year's it's gone even by more fast. incredible that, yeah, it really has. And I mean, it's even more incredible that we haven't finished the Silmarillion yet, but we're getting <laughs> close. <true. laughs> um, but I think the most incredible thing to me is really just the response we've received. Um, yeah. Not only the number that we've reached, but the positive feedback that we've gotten from you all in email, uh, on, on Facebook and on Twitter. I mean, it really seems that some of you out there really just – like to approach the text the way that we do and really are enjoying this uh, this sort of <laughs> in-depth approach. And I'm using the air quotes again on that one. <laughs> or as we like to call it, the full prancing pony podcast treatment. <laughs> <laughs> so very well done. Yep. Well, and, and don't, and don't get the wrong impression from the uh, Allens using the voice of a Luvatar effect there. <laughs> um, all the nice comments have not gone to our heads. <laughs> well, mostly. <laughs> keep I them coming, use, please. I should use that effect, by the way, with my son. <laughs> I bet he'd obey would, if, I bet you if would my get voice results. echoed. You would get results. Do it now, son. I promise. Is nowhere near as effective as do it now, son. Just saying. Anyway. Yes, well, sir. On, yes, sir. Exactly. How high, sir? Um, now <laughs> on with today's discussion. So when we last left Baron and Luthien, on our last episode of The Adventures of Baron, <laughs> Um, yeah, so we, we left them. They were dressed as a wolf and a bat and heading north. Yeah, just a little, so. just a little couple's fun, you know. <laughs> a little <laughs> Valentine's Day cosplay. <laughs> couple's cosplay. <laughs> yep. So they get to the gate of Angband, and I love the description of the gate. Uh, the, the, oh, yeah. The carrion fowl and, and these black chasms and this impregnable gate. And you realize how, how, how writhing serpents yeah. coming out of these chasms. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's just crazy scary. A uh, thousand feet of precipice up the mountain. So you're and looking straight up this wall. This a sheer thousand feet high. Black wall. It's a skyscraper. It's a hundred it's a hundred it's the equivalent of a hundred stories. That's massive. So, wow, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean it's a hundred story building standing Incredible. on top of this impregnable gate. Incredible. Uh, but I'll go ahead and read this next paragraph. This will get us a little bit uh, of, of what they see here. All right. Their dismay took them, for at the gate was a guard of whom no tidings had yet gone forth. Rumor of he knew not what designs abroad among the princes of the elves had come to Morgoth, and ever down the aisles of the forest was heard the baying of Huan, the great hound of war, whom long ago the Valar unleashed. Then Morgoth recalled the doom of Huan, and he chose one from among the whelps of the race of Draugluin, and he fed him with his own hand upon living flesh and put his power upon him. Swiftly the wolf grew until he could creep into no den, but lay huge and hungry before the feet of Morgoth. There the fire and anguish of hell entered into him, and he became filled with a devouring spirit, tormented, terrible, and strong. Karkaroth, the Red Maw, he is named in the tales of those days, and Anfauglir, the Jaws of Thirst. And Morgoth set him to lie unsleeping before the doors of Angband, lest Huon come. 
Wow. Well, we are we are right there in the thick of the action Boom. now. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Zero to sixty, and you know, I can just hear Sean Bean. They have a red mall. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit scarier than a cave troll, I bet. Just a bit. Um, My goodness, the wow. anguish of hell entered into him. He's just. This is. That's incredible. There are so many things about this description of Karkaroth that's oh. just. That are just astounding. And I by mean, the way, should I just tell our listeners, please forgive us if we devolve, if, if we descend into calling him Karkaroth instead of always it's, going Karkaroth. It's going to be hard to keep that Karkaroth, yeah. I yeah. mean, just for your sakes, really, listeners, we don't want to keep doing <laughs> Karkaroth. It's just, you know. Yeah. If I try um, too hard, I will do it way too hard and it'll just, yeah. yeah. But he's I'll not Karkaroth. We won't be calling him Karkaroth. Karkaroth? <laughs> no. He's not Karcharoth, and no, Galadriel's no. husband is not Celeborn. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh man. goodness! Um, goodness! Wow! I, you know, I love that um, that Morgoth prepared him because he knew the doom of Huon. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he was he was bred to be the perfect anti-Huon weapon, wasn't exactly. he? Exactly. He may be a one-shot pony, but boy, what a shot! <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, a one-trick pony. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, my yeah. goodness, this is. Uh, it, but it's it's Morgoth remembering, remembering exactly what was supposed to happen to Huon, right. and saying, "Well, then I guess I'll have to take care of that." But remember, Sauron rem- remembered the doom as well, and thought that mm-hmm. he could be the greatest wolf that could take down Huon. He, right, he was, he was wrong. <laughs> but we'll see yeah. about Karkaroth. Yeah, um, that is true. I, I love the names. Wow. I mean, Karkaroth is is a nasty name, but and Fauglir. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and it made me, of course, immediately think of Anfauglith, of uh, course, the, the yeah, gasping the dust, yeah. and it's that that Faug that is uh, thirsty or gasping. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, really, just yeah. Ooh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's it's just one of those those names that just is so evocative of uh, of the spirit of this creature. Yeah, yeah. Creepy, creepy just stuff. Just incredible, and you know, fed with with uh, with. Flesh fed, with, fed him with his own hand upon living flesh. There was um, yeah. I was wondering about that. You know, um, my first thought I mean, was just like you know maybe not butchered animals like maybe orcs or something. But, but there was a passage in Canto twelve uh, that that talks about that he was fed on fairest flesh of elves and men. Oh wow! So well, there he, you go. I would have thought he would not going to use captured elves because he's got better use for them. But uh, no. Sure, I could, yeah, because he he often puts elves to work as thralls in his mines and things right. like that. You know, they've right. got that those Noldoran skills that he wants to use. Exactly, um, but here he wanted. Or is to it Noldoran? I guess it's Noldoran. Noldor, Nald, no, I. Hmm. Oh boy, now we're all messed up. <laughs> okay, so my rule, we're gonna have to add one other thing. Um, yeah, why? Because that would be Noldor. I mean, Christopher, yeah. that's how Christopher Tolkien pronounces it. That's how Christopher it, so. Tolkien says it. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Forget I said that. Well, I'll have to find an. Uh, I'll have to amend it. my rule, but <laughs> we'll consider L like an R. They're uh, yeah, they're, yeah. They're uh, they're closely related consonants, I think, uh, in terms of. Uh, that's what I'm. Well, certainly in terms of the way yeah. they're pronounced. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so. all right. <laughs> Didn't mean to throw that monkey wrench. In no, the but boy, wow. that sure did. I'm gonna have to change that just to read <laughs> an L or an R. Um, so, uh, yeah, so he, he's, uh, he has fed on elf and man, living, living flesh. And again, we get an example of Morgoth putting his power into something, or in this case, it says onto something, right? He's put his power upon him. 
That's um, true. Yeah. Again, you know, more of that finite power leaving him, uh, leaving him, you know, more and more vulnerable. But I'm curious yeah. about this filled with a devouring spirit. Does this mean that at some point he became possessed by an, either an evil Maya or, or some sort of fallen Fea? Or is this just a, a mere beast that was maybe pushed past its uh, the limits of its species and became filled with this devouring spirit? What, I wonder. There's that's nothing. A very, yeah. That's a very good question. Yeah, I don't know. Um, he speaks. That's a really so. I, yeah, I, I mean, I he's, he's definitely Maya. he's definitely got some sort of you know some sort of spirit in him. I mean, mm-hmm. um, even if we think that he might be a fallen Fea, and that's maybe he speaks. Well, because Draglin speaks, doesn't he? Yeah, Draglin um, speaks. Yeah, and we you know as a as the father of the werewolves, we thought maybe he would uh, he could either be a Maya or uh, a fallen Fea, as we discussed yeah. last time. Yeah, I don't know what Karkaroth is. Yeah. Uh, I've got to lean towards ju- Maya just because of his, you know, power, but um, could yeah, be. Yeah, know. yeah. It, it is speculation, but yeah, purely. Uh, yeah. But uh, what always jumps out at me about this is the tormented part. Um, this oh, is very no. compelling. You know, this is a, a reminder that those who follow Morgoth aren't mm-hmm. usually happy doing it. They're miserable. No, absolutely. Uh, they're, they're slaves. They're thralls. Use Feanor's favorite word. Um, they're, uh, yeah, they're miserable. They, you know, they yeah. they follow this dark lord, um, but um, he knew, you know, he knew no other thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, oh, but eventually, gruesome. yeah, tormented and twisted into into this into this evil beast. Mm-hmm. Um, powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. But what happens? What does Luthien do? Well, All right, first, well, what does Karkaroth do? <laughs> yeah, I'll just take this next paragraph. Yeah. yeah. Now Karkaroth espied them from afar, and he was filled with doubt, for news had long been brought to Angband that Draugland was dead. Therefore, when they approached, he denied them entry and bade them stand, and he drew near with menace, scenting something strange in the air about them. But suddenly some power, descended from of old from divine race, possessed Luthien, and casting back her foul raiment, she stood forth, small before the might of Karkaroth, but radiant and terrible. Lifting up her hand, she commanded him to sleep, saying, O woe-begotten spirit, fall now into dark oblivion and forget for a while the dreadful doom of life. And Karkaroth was felled, as though lightning had smitten him. Boom. Boom, indeed. (laughs) I mean, just instant, you know. Um, Yeah. Sleepy doggy. (laughs) Oh, sleepy doggy. (laughs) Poor guy. I, I, I love. <laughs> there's this moment of dread yeah. when when we're told that uh, they had already had news that Draugolin was dead, right. <laughs> and you're thinking, "Ooh, uh, this might not end too well." You picked the wrong costume. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, and you know, of course, Karkaroth saw right through it. But yep. uh, but Luthien's got this uh, this Maya power. Oh, I little, know. A little bit of Ainu juice there. A little Ainu juice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's something about – there are two things that actually – one I had to do some more research on, and and I'll get to that one in a second. But the other jumped out at me was um, that this seemed like something from outside of her. I mean, it's not literal possession Mm -hmm. here, but it's this this power that appeared to possess her. Sure, yeah. Uh, It made me think of things like when, when Baron said earlier in the chapter that it seemed to him that words were put into his mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, or, or like when Tuor shows up at Gondolin, we find out that his words were the words of the Lord of Waters that came to him in that hour. There are mm-hmm. moments when 
outside forces come on to a, a good guy mm-hmm. to yeah. enable them either to say something or do something that is of, of incredible import. Yeah. Uh, and that's it, it reminds me also of, uh, of Frodo um, oh, yeah. in Shelob's Lair yeah. when he – when he, um, he suddenly remembers the file. Feel, feel, and, yeah, and he pulls out the yeah, vial and he's... He pulls out the file and, you know, the Aya Erendil, Helenion uh, on yeah. Kalima, you know, he didn't know those words. Those no. words came to him. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, that's a, that's another case of that. These, You're right. Um, like you say, sometimes the good guys just something moments. comes upon them, some sort of, um, you know, some power, some... some sort of Illuminatorish sort of thing, one might think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, definitely some sort of... Some sort of inspiration from yeah. without, and and I think yeah. you know knowing, or you know the the makeup of Tolkien's world, I think <laughs> I yeah. think it's a Lupitar, you know. You know, I mean, in this case, it actually now I see it's a descended from a Maybe, man from well, divine race. So, so, so this Ainu, is right? actually some Mayu, right? Some Maya, Mayu, <laughs> Mayu. Mayu. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> Maya, it's it's Maya and Ainu, so it's Mayu. <laughs> That's interesting. The other one was one that that I did a little bit of research by looking into the lay. Um, you know, you talked about um, that he spotted the, their, their bad costume, but uh, you'll notice in the text here it says that he drew near with menace, scenting something strange in the air about them, and that's why he denied yeah, them, yeah. them entry. Mm-hmm. Canto 12, there's a really beautiful line um, what, that makes it really clear what he noticed, and it's, mm. he talks about the odor of immortal flowers in everlasting spring neath showers that glitter silver in the grass in Valinor, where air did pass to Nuviel. Such air there went. So she couldn't help smelling well, the flowers. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the Irish spring. It's the, oh no, don't go there. <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah, that that's uh, <laughs> I never I never thought yeah. to look that up in the lay. I'm glad you did. Because the, uh, you know, I'm just thinking, well, I guess elves don't smell as bad as the smells are used to. <laughs> <laughs> right. Very few things in this world smell as smell bad as, as, bad a, as, a, as a dead bat, a dead, a dead evil bat. Um, but yeah, that's interesting that, you know, there's something very explicit there in the lay. That's really cool. Yeah, I really love that. Little details like that. I mean, that's what makes makes reading the lay so fascinating and comparing it to mm-hmm. the um, to the text. It's such a delight. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you know, where one is, you know, concretely different, obviously you stick with what's in the the text of the book, but it's right. uh, it certainly provides some insights. So, yeah, definitely. So they knock cool. him out. Uh, he's taking a nap, and they get downstairs. Uh, they finally get to the nethermost hall, and I'm going to go ahead and take a little bit of this paragraph. All right. There, Baron slunk in wolf's form beneath his throne, but Luthien was stripped of her disguise by the will of Morgoth, and he bent his gaze upon her. She was not daunted by his eyes. And she named her own name, and offered her service to sing before him, after the manner of a minstrel. Then Morgoth, looking upon her beauty, conceived in his thought an evil lust, and a design more dark than any that had yet come into his heart since he fled from Valinor. Thus he was beguiled by his own malice, for he watched her, leaving her free for a while, and taking secret pleasure in his thought. You know, I was about to read more, and I'm, I'm, I'll get to more, but I want to stop. There's so much to unpack there. I didn't want to Definitely. keep yeah. reading. Um, my goodness. Uh, wow. So Luthien's disguise <laughs> is stripped. So exactly what happened to Finrod, it looks like. Um, yeah, true. That's true. You know, the, the will of Morgoth takes away her disguise. Baron, <laughs> though, his disguise seems to still be in place. I'm Again, there's nothing here to tell us. There was nothing in the lay. 
that it, does he simply not notice Baron? Is Baron so stealthy as a wolf that he doesn't notice? Or is Morgoth just so distracted by Luthien? Does he once again underestimate men? I, I wonder know. about that. I, 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 I mean, it, that is a really good question. I, it could it could go either way. I think either he yeah. he truly doesn't see through this through the disguise. Um, though that seems unlikely. That does seem very uh, unlikely. Doesn't maybe it? I mean, he knows she's in a disguise. So right, Draugalun must be. Besides, he you knows know, you know Draugalun. Well, you mentioned Finrod and what Sauron does to Finrod, and you yeah. know Sauron. Uh, well, let's see. I'm trying to remember. Was Sauron drawn to Finrod's power? Did he like sense Finrod's power, or did he just know that? Well, he was the elf, and so he must be the one in charge. Well, um, you, there was only one man, so I they were all wolves. I mean, all wolves, um, uh, <laughs> all, all elves. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Um, no, if I go back well, to that, I, um, well, he was aware of them. He commanded them to stay. He sent to waylay them and bring them before him, and thus befell the contest. So we don't really. See how right, it so started. Really other than the, yeah, how he identified Finrod as the king. It actually um, sounds I like know. Finrod I... started that fight. Felagun strove with Sauron, and the power of the king was very great. Okay, uh, but then Sauron had okay. the mastery. So, gotcha. Uh, a little I just wonder if more. Yeah, a little bit different. I was wondering if, in this case, if maybe Morgoth just really senses Luthien's power. And um, yeah, he's more intrigued by her. Yeah, yeah, and certainly, you know, um, she's got. There's something Einarin about her, so mm-hmm. he would recognize that. You know, yeah, that's presumably true. there's there's some way that they, you know, we know that there's um, some kind of telepathy, some sort of connection between the different minds of the different Einar. So right. maybe there's something like that. I'm totally yeah. speculating here, but I, I, certainly the power of nothing else that makes more sense. Yeah. You, you know, maybe in his thought, it's more like I'll deal with you later. You know, you, mm-hmm. whoever you are, you clearly have no power compared to this one. Right. Uh, right. So I'm going to deal with her first. You're not going to be able to do anything against me anyway. So, right. Yeah, that's that's yeah. more like it. So and once that again, goes back to the other men. thing you suggested, which is just underestimating men. Yeah. So it's probably a little bit of all, you know. Yeah. A little overconfidence. Yeah, for um, sure. And then I wanted to touch on before I move to the next little bit of this passage, this whole idea of Morgoth having a design more dark than any that he had had since he left Valinor. So yeah. the only designs that it would be darker, I guess, would be the destruction of the trees. I mean, that's that's yeah. what this is being compared against. How nasty is that? I know. I know. Well, I mean, you know, it's uh, <laughs> he's definitely nasty what he's thinking right now. And yeah. um, wow, it's it's really incredible to think that, uh, that you know, well, again, he's he's thinking about, um, you know, defiling another of Iluvatar's creations here. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just uh, you can see it when you when you think about it that way. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Really, evil. I think it's what one thing that strikes me about that is, um, you know, why he's attracted to her. I mean, certainly she's the most beautiful of the children of Iluvatar ever. We right. know that, yep. but we also know that she's radiant. You know, she has this light yes. of her mother in her, and we know Morgoth always lusts after light. Yes, he does. So I think that's really fascinating. I think that is. I mean, that certainly mirrors his, you know, attraction to the Silmarils. Mm-hmm. Um, and to Varda and, um, yeah, yeah. you know, and yeah, it's very, very interesting. But he acts like he did before in terms of his own secret pleasure in his thought. Doesn't that kind of yeah. remind you of some of the stuff that happened even as far Way back as the early music? On. Yeah. Early on. Yeah. Going back to the music, he had the, uh, he was, he had secret anger, if I recall correctly. Yeah. And then, um, and then, out, yeah, he felt shame out of which came secret anger. You're secret right. Secret anger. Yeah. And, uh, I was even thinking of, um, 
I, I don't think it was quite that explicit, but uh, when Fingolfin challenged him at the gate, oh, yeah. um, you know, the he fear. hid his his fear. Um, I'm not sure the word secret was used there, but definitely he was hiding it. And yeah, I, I think it's interesting how often Morgoth has these secret thoughts, um, how much he yeah, how often right. he doesn't reveal what's really in his head. Uh, I don't think even to himself. I think he's he's engage, engaging in self-deception a lot of the time. Well, he does that early on. I remember that line about how, you know, even then he feigned even to himself. That he was trying to do oh, this yeah. for the good of, uh, of the that's children. That's right. Yeah, he. That's right. Yeah, there's another. He, yeah, case where he just kind of, he just fools himself. He he well, he tries. Yeah, <laughs> he tries. <laughs> he tries. Yeah. Uh, um, but I, I think this is interesting that you know Morgoth, uh, embodiment of all evil that he is, is so often yeah. secretive. Um, I think you <laughs> know Tolkien point. I would think say that says something that, uh, about secretive, doesn't it? I, I think so. Yeah, I think Tolkien would say that you know openness and. and Openness is a virtue. Honesty yeah. is a virtue. Transparency, um, yeah. Not a, not alien to us, but I, I just think it's an interesting an interesting trait to see in this uh, this guy who's evil for so many other reasons, uh, but he's got this one in there as well. No doubt. Well, I'll finish up the the rest of this passage. I'm actually skipping the next line and picking it up at the beginning of the next paragraph. Okay. After she uh, after she sings this song, all his court were cast down in slumber, and all the fires faded and were quenched. But the Silmarils and the crown on Morgoth's head blazed forth suddenly with a radiance of white flame, and the burden of that crown and of the jewels bowed down his head as though the world were set upon it, laden with a weight of care, of fear, and of desire that even the will of Morgoth could not support. Then Luthien, catching up her winged robe, sprang into the air, and her voice came dropping down like rain into pools profound and dark. She cast her cloak before his eyes and set upon him a dream, dark as the outer void where once he walked alone. Suddenly he fell as a hill sliding in avalanche and hurled like thunder from his throne lay prone upon the floors of hell. The iron crown rolled, echoing from his head. All things were still. Wow. Yeah, what a moment, right? That's a, such a cool moment. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is it. You put you put Morgoth to sleep. My goodness, yeah. girl, yeah. you go. <laughs> she's <laughs> she's got the juice, man. I told you that I knew juice. Um, yeah, <laughs> I love this for so many reasons. I, you know, I don't know. I, you know, uh, I want to read this section from the lay also. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because it is, um, it's a moment where. It's very, very similar to the prose version, and I think mm -hmm. it, it works equally well in prose and in verse. Um, I don't know. Do we want to go to that now, or do we oh, want absolutely. to talk about this no, first? Let's have you read the lay version, and then you know we can talk about uh, you know if there's any significant difference. We can you know talk about them together. Okay, cool. Let's do that. Uh, so I, I'm going to encourage listeners to you know, pull out your Silmarillion and maybe even read your Silmarillion as you're listening to this because there's just so many – I know. There's just so much similarity. I, I kind of yeah, love it. But. Definitely. So this is from Canto 13, and I'm picking up at line 4044. In his eyes, the fire to flame was fanned. And I guess I should say we're talking about Morgoth there. Right. <laughs> so let me, let me say that and start <laughs> over. Uh, In his eyes, the fire to flame was fanned, and forth he stretched his brazen hand. Luthiena's shadow shrank aside. Not thus, O king, not thus, she cried. Do great lords hark to humble boon? For every minstrel hath his tune, and some are strong and some are soft, and each would bear his song aloft, and each a little while be heard. 
though rude the note and light the word. But Luthien hath cunning arts for solace sweet of kingly hearts. Now hearken. And her wings she caught then deftly up, and swift as thought slipped from his grasp, and wheeling round, fluttering before his eyes, she wound a mazy winged dance, and sped about his iron-crowned head. Suddenly her song began anew, and soft came dropping like a dew down from on high in that domed hall, her voice bewildering, magical, and grew to silver murmuring streams, pale falling in dark pools and dreams. She let her flying raiment sweep, and meshed with woven spells of sleep, and round the dark void she ranged and reeled. From wall to wall she turned and wheeled, and danced such as never elf nor fay before devised, nor since that day. Then swallow swifter, then flittermouse in dying light round darkened house, more silken soft, more strange and fair than sylphine maidens of the air, whose wings in Varda's heavenly hall in rhythmic movement beat and fall. Down crumpled orc and balrog proud. All eyes were quenched, all heads were bowed. The fires of heart and maw were stilled, and ever like a bird she thrilled above a lightless world forlorn in ecstasy, enchanted born. All eyes were quenched, save those that glared in Morgoth's lowering brows, and stared in slowly wandering wonder round, and slow were in enchantment bound. Their will wavered, and their fire failed, and as beneath his brows they paled, the Silmarils like stars were kindled that in the reek of earth had dwindled, escaping upwards clear to shine, glistening marvelous in heaven's mine. Then flaring suddenly they fell, down, down upon the floors of hell. The dark and mighty head was bowed, like mountaintop beneath a cloud, the shoulders foundered, the vast form crashed, as in overwhelming storm huge cliffs and ruins slide and fall, and prone lay Morgoth in his hall. His crown there rolled upon the ground, a wheel of thunder. Then all sound died, and as a silence, and a silence grew as deep as were the heart of earth asleep. My goodness. You're right about the similarities to the prose version. Everything yeah, from the floors of hell it? to the, the hill sliding in avalanche, not using that word, but very much yeah. describing that. Yeah, and the, um, the thunder the cloak, as the crown strikes the floor. Yeah. Um, the Silmarils blazing forth. The fact that everybody else fell asleep first, he didn't. It took it took a little more work for him to go down. Yeah, and then just the, just the slow bowing of his head. I mean, you really just see it. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> I mean, you just, you feel goodness. it. You just feel that. You feel this moment. And uh, I love both versions, but <laughs> I think I like the lay version just because it. You know, yeah. like we talked about a couple of episodes ago, it just kind of draws it out. You know, you, but you, you know just, what? You, I like the lay version it. better because I've read the prose version. I think. If I had to try to read it as just a lay, I would be struggling it's hard, it's sometimes to with the language. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's harder to crack than the There was a word you a used, flittering mouse or something like that. What the heck was that? <laughs> Flitter mouse, yeah. Flitter, I, I, uh, Flitter mouse. I, I did have to look that up. Uh, it actually means bat. Ah, oh, of course. Wow. Which is because appropriate. Pretty much what is a bat but a rat with wings. You're right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A, a flittering mouse. Yeah, that's, that's a, a, a word that uh, – pretty clear compound word there. And, you know, she's – Actually dressed as a bat here, so I guess the, right. uh, you know the the simile, the simile, yeah, the simile yeah. or metaphor, uh, I, I think is is an apt one. I think yeah, there's another word in here. This uh, <laughs> this uh, sylphine maidens of the air, I think, sylphine. is uh, another one. I kind of had to look up. So yeah. sylphine means like a sylph, which is sort of like a kind of like an air elemental. Okay, like a some sort of a, something that lives in the air. That okay. Yeah, like, like sort of like a, you know, like a sprite that, you know, sort of lives in the air. Yeah. Oh, okay, like a naiad or dryad, but in the air. Sure, yeah, exactly. Um, 
and I think that's why the reference to to Varda's Hall, you know, the the sky. Oh yeah, yeah, that would um, be. Yeah. So yeah, definitely a couple of a couple of tough words to crack there. And I think you're right. I think the prose version, knowing the prose version, definitely helps. Um, yeah. But then, oh, there's just something about the poetry. It's uh, oh yeah. Just get you right there. Well, we're going to read more. In fact, I'll read some in a little bit, but I'm going to have you read. We're going to flip this around. You're going to read the prose version. I'll read the poetry, and then we'll we'll discuss. But, you know, actually, before we move on to that, there's still stuff to talk about in this passage. So let's yeah, do that. There, there's, there's, um, I think we talked about, um, well, let's see. We, we saw the sleepy hair cloak again. Right, right. There it is. <laughs> there's your, um, your Rapunzel reference again. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. The hair. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things I, I noticed here is this idea that um, going back to the prose version, uh, where is it, you know, this dream she set upon him is dark as the outer void. Oh, I where know. Where once he walked alone. Isn't that cool? That is. It's a reminder once again of what he had done. You know, this whole yeah. idea of going out there looking for the flame imperishable instead of being there with your your um, Valar or your Ainu buddies. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this is back. This is the very beginning of his existence. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder Way if it's like. Back. Never mind. It's really, really oh, goofy. Yeah. I was just I wondering if it's like the Ainu version of sleeping like a baby. <laughs> Man, I'm going to sleep like I'm Still. walking in the outer void. Sleep like I'm walking in the outer void when I like I did when I was. Just a, Just little, a little offspring of Iluvatar's thought. <laughs> Just a well, I think he was the only one who went out there, you know, yeah, on definitely. his own. And yeah, um, I wonder, you know, I mean, how far back does Melian's memory go? You know, she was an Ainu. Yeah, um, I mean, of 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 a lesser order, but mm-hmm. she might have recalled when Morgoth his had, had his gone. little uh, his yeah. little wanderings, right? Yeah, probably and, and may have even been able to tell. Luthien about them. There's well this really horrible guy. <laughs> <laughs> Awful singing. His singing was terrible. It's terrible. Just so... He kept trying to pick up on Varda. She wasn't was having any. It was, yeah, just, it was just, yeah. It was just icky. We got a restraining order. <laughs> so if you ever meet that guy, he lives up north. Uh, if you ever yeah. meet him, please, you know, just walk the other way. Yeah. If he ever pulls up side along alongside you while you're walking and he's in a van and invites you in, please say no. <laughs> yep. Yep. White white panel van. The, the dark what was it? The darkest uh <laughs> the darkest lust he'd ever had. <laughs> that would be, yeah. <laughs> creepy, creepy, creepy. Yep. Uh just creepy. in case you you know, that didn't just in case that didn't come through loud and yeah. clear. Uh, yeah. though, it, though it should have. Um let me have you take the next couple paragraphs here. Um, about what Baron finally does. Okay, so I'm going back to the prose version here, picking up right where you left off. Right. As a dead beast, Baron lay upon the ground, but Luthien, touching him with her hand, aroused him, and he cast aside his wolfheim. Then he drew forth the knife Angrist, and from the iron claws that held it, he cut a Silmaril. As he closed it in his hand, the radiance welled through his living flesh, and his hand became as a shining lamp. But the jewel shuff- suffered his touch and hurt him not. It came then into Baron's mind that he would go beyond his vow and bear out of Angband all three of the jewels of Feanor. But such was not the doom of the Silmarils. The knife Angrist snapped, and a shard of the blade flying smote the cheek of Morgoth. He groaned and stirred, and all the host of Angband moved in sleep. My goodness. There is so much to talk about here, but we're going to talk about it after I read the poem, the, the lay version. Yep. 
Because okay. again, this really expands, uh, doesn't contradict, doesn't say anything mm-hmm. that the pros you know would say didn't happen, but it really brings more detail to light. So mm-hmm. this is from Canto 13, and I'm trying to see if I've got the lines. I think I'm starting at line 4108. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'll explain the one word before I get to it. There's a word. There's two words in here that I want to explain before I get there. Uh, one word is garden, uh, and it means reward. Uh, and it goes back quite okay. a ways. I mean, Shakespeare even used it um, in a couple of uh, a couple of his works. Um, but yeah, it just means reward. And then there's the word woof, like woof. It's spelled W-O-O-F. Um, but that's oh, okay. uh, like, like uh, weaving, you know, like woof the warp and, and woof of a right, loom, of a, warp of a loom right? Yeah, and yeah, loom okay. is wrenched right after, so that might be obvious. But just wanted to tackle those two before I read this. So. Okay. <clears throat> Beneath the vast and empty throne, the adders lay like twisted stone, the wolves like corpses foul were strewn, and there lay barren deep in swoon. No thought, no dream, nor shadow blind moved in the darkness of his mind. Come forth, come forth, the hour hath knelled, and Angband's mighty lord is felled. Awake, awake, for we too meet alone before the awful seat. This voice came down into the deep where he lay drowned in wells of sleep. A hand, flower soft and flower cool, passed o'er his face, and the still pool of slumber quivered. Up then leaped his mind to waking. Forth he crept. The wolfish fell he flung aside and sprang unto his feet, and wide staring amid the soundless gloom, he gasped as one living shut in tomb. There to his side he felt her shrink, felt Luthien now shivering sink, her strength and magic dimmed and spent, and swift his arms about her went. Before his feet he saw amazed the gems of Feanor that blazed with white fire glistening in the crown of Morgoth's might now fallen down. To move that helm of iron vast no strength he found, and thence aghast he strove with fingers mad to wrest the guerdon of their hopeless quest, till in his heart there fell the thought of that cold morn whereon he fought with Kurafin. Then from his belt the sheathless knife he drew and knelt, and tried its hard edge, bitter cold, o'er which in Nagrad songs had rolled of dwarvish armorers singing slow to hammer music long ago. Iron as tender wood it clove, and male as woof of loom it rove. The claws of iron that held the gem, it bit them through and sundered them. A silmaril he clasped and held, and the pure radiance slowly welled red, glowing through the clinching flesh. Again he stooped and strove afresh one more of the holy jewels three that Feanor wrought of yore to free. But round those fires was woven fate. Not yet should they leave the halls of hate. The dwarvish steel of cunning blade by treacherous smiths of Nagrod made snapped. Then ringing sharp and clear in twain it sprang, and like a spear or errant shaft the brow it grazed of Morgoth's sleeping head and dazed their hearts with fear. For Morgoth groaned with voice entombed, like wind that moaned in hollow caverns penned and bound. There came a breath. A gasping sound moved through the halls as orc and beast turned in their dreams of hideous feast. 
in sleep-uneasy Balrog stirred, and far above was faintly heard an echo that in tunnels rolled, a wolvish howling, long and cold. Wow. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> that is such a beautiful I, way of putting that, isn't it? I, I do love that. Uh, boy, I think that one uh, that one really far exceeds the prose version for me. I love yeah, yeah. the I love this moment where uh, you know you see in the next paragraph, and I think you're going to read uh, yeah. a couple of paragraphs down in the prose version that Luthien is spent. She's used all of her power, yeah. but here we actually see it. You know, here in the, in the verse version, we actually see it mm-hmm. here, and yeah. we see how, you know we see Baron throw his arms around her. Uh, I love that. Her. Such a I love that moment. moment. Yeah. It is. It is a very tender moment. Um, and to come in this, you know, <laughs> this high fantasy quest, you know, yeah. the floor of hell, you know, it's just, it's fascinating. You're um, in the, the, the very end. You've just defeated the yeah. end boss. You're ready to open up the loot box. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and first you've got this little tender moment between lovers. It's, yeah. it's beautiful. beautiful. Really and is. I love the uh, the other little bits that we get in here in the lay of uh, the dwarves who made yeah. Angrist. Who made Angrist, exactly. The Smiths That's, of Nagrod. That's so cool. And, you know, we're reminded there that the dwarves have a part in this, too. This is this is a triumph, not just for, You're right. you know, for, you know, we talked a couple of episodes ago about, you know, oh, Baron, could Baron, uh, uh, in, could any other man, you know, accomplish this quest? Well, even Baron doesn't do it. Uh, it's it's a, it's Baron the man. It's Luthien the elf. And it's the dwarves of Nagrod who made this blade. Um, yeah, that was able to cut the iron of, of yeah. Morgoth's crown. Yeah, this is another subtle moment of the the different peoples of Middle Earth working together to but accomplish this. I'm thinking, this. you know, Baron, if you're going to raid the halls of Angban to take the Silmaril from the crown of Morgoth, you'd think that you should bring something more than your hand. I mean, here he's down there on, with his, on his hands and knees trying to pull apart the. Did you bring a wire cutter, bring bolt some, cutter, or something? Get some pliers or something. I mean, I don't expect him to bring like a welding torch or anything like that. But no, you know, come on. <laughs> You could have done. You could have brought something, but thankfully he thought about that fight with Curafin. Thankfully they'd had the fight with Curafin. Yeah, or he'd still Boy, be there a, trying to tear it up. What a chance that was that something. he had that blade on him. Yeah. What a chance. And it was that blade, a blade <laughs> yeah. that could cut iron. Yeah. You know, like uh, like green wood. Yeah. It's almost like he was fated to do all this stuff. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> I love we get uh, I love this line about a hand flower soft and flower cool passed over his face. Mm-hmm. Considering what we just had in that last passage about how Karkaroth, you know, uh, was able to know that they weren't who they said they were was the smell right. of flowers. Right, that's so true, yeah. That was uh, that was a neat little thing. Very cool. Yeah, just great passage really yeah it is and i like the uh the i i also like even the the moment where he grasps the silmaril in oh, the yeah. poem you know you see more of like you know just the light shining through his red hand yeah the um, pure radiance slowly yeah. weld so cool mm. and we remember you know that way back when the silmarils were first created we learned about how varda hallowed them didn't yep. we yep uh, and w- what was the passage no mortal flesh nor hands unclean there's um, there are three things because this this mm-hmm. argument always comes up, but I definitely want to talk about this uh, <laughs> because w- before we get to that quote, we'll get we'll, I'll pull that up. But going back to the prose version, the jewel suffered his touch and hurt him not. So mm-hmm. there's there almost every once in a while, inanimate objects seem to have some sort of decision making ability. 
we, we see that in Lord of the Rings, of course, with the ring. Um, mm-hmm. We even have an inanimate object um, by the name of Gurthang that speaks once. That is true. Um, yep. So, you know, there's there's definitely precedent for an object having the ability to make a decision. Uh, Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the first thing I was thinking was, well, the ring has Sauron's will in it. So maybe yeah, that's, that's not that, – maybe yeah. that's a special case. And, but you you're, know, right about, you're right has, about Gurthang, though. Well, Gurthang kind of has the spirit of its evil maker in it a little bit. That's true. But so, why is that? I mean, he's not he's not a Maya. No. No, you're right. I don't know. That's interesting. It's just, it's just something that kind of came to mind as I was thinking about this. But the I think line we'll have an opportunity to look into that in a couple of chapters. Yeah, I think we'll we'll tackle that more in depth uh, and maybe do some research ahead of time for when we get mm-hmm. to the end of uh, of Turin's chapter. Turin, yeah. Uh, the the quote you're looking for is towards the beginning of chapter seven. Varda hallowed the Silmarils so that thereafter, and there's three categories: no mortal flesh, nor hands unclean, nor anything of evil will evil might touch will them. Evil will might touch them. Got it. But yep. it was scorched and withered. So, um, you know, it's it's it doesn't matter if you're mortal, but you really have clean hands and no evil will. You're still mortal. It applies. Yeah. Um, if you're immortal, right, exactly. So, then, yeah. If you're you know if you're immortal, then if you but have you still have to have clean or, hands and no evil will. Yeah. So it's, yep. if any one of those three you know describes you, you're going to get scorched and withered yeah. uh, when you possess the Silmarils. So when you yeah. hold the Silmarils. So, yeah. Yeah. So the yeah. So the fact that Baron is able to touch them is hugely significant. Oh, yeah. And Very and you you so. bring up this this possibility that the Silmarils have some decision making ability, which I kind of like that idea. I definitely want to look into that more. Yeah. You know, I was even just thinking of it as uh, there's, well, it was Varda who hallowed them in that way, and uh, I think it's just clear that we're dealing with a power greater than Varda. That's right. Here. And there's only it's one power greater than Varda. And there's only right. one of those. Right. Yeah. And and that's so, that's what we'd fall back on if we end up mm-hmm. finding that no no there's no. You know, there, there's no will here. <laughs> there's no decision. But you know, the Silmarils it's certainly an respond. It's they, an interesting thought, though. I mean, they're yeah. they're they're magical. They're magical objects. Yeah. They uh, respond to external stimuli. I mean, she yeah, sings, absolutely. and That's they true. start glowing, yeah. even more greatly than than normal. They yeah. were singing. Do they have ears? Do they have any auditory organs? No. Right. Um, so yeah, I but don't there know. seems to be some sort of awareness there. Exactly. I think you're you're right. There's there's a there's a strong suggestion that that's the case. I really yeah. want to look into that. Yeah, well, definitely. I'm going to – I've just made some notes. We'll take a look into cool. yeah, that great. for sure. I'm sure we'll get some insight from from some of our more avid listeners uh, between now and then. And I look forward to hearing that. But Yeah, same um, here. Yeah, so he was able to touch this without having it, you know, scorch and wither his hand, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And like you said, is itself indicative that there is a, a tremendous fate involved here. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, he gets he gets that one out. But interestingly, what I, I can't help but wonder was this a tactical error on his part uh, to try to go for more than one? I, oh yeah, I mean I, certainly yeah. I mean <laughs> clearly again, fate steps in, or yeah. the hand of Iluvatar steps in. Or I mean, hand or, doesn't step, reaches ooh, in. Yeah, the invisible <laughs> hand. That's true. Yeah. I mean, it kind of reminds um, me of the old Lay's commercials. Bet you can't. Eat just one, you know. Oh, <laughs> you can't take just one. Oh, um, you know. Oh man, why? why or even why, Pringles. Why? Once you pop, you can't stop. <laughs> oh, because he popped it out. Never you mind. sure did. No, you're right. That's <laughs> oh, that's so bad. Um, 
Well, we yeah. compared the Silmarils to steak before, and now we're comparing them to potato it's chips. Good, so. bad, yeah. If you want to even call Pringles potato chips, that's a stretch. <laughs> potato snacks. Yeah. <laughs> we digress. We definitely digress. Um, but yeah, the, that was not the doom of the Silmarils, or as the, the mm-hmm. lay version talks about, that that's not their fate. Same kind of thing. The knife snaps, and and it a shard, instead of just like bouncing harmlessly off some fabric covered, you know, quiet right, no. thing. It, it, no, it's it, can't, it can't just skitter off into the corner somewhere. No, no it's got to no. it's got to hit Morgoth in the right. cheek. <laughs> it can't even hit somebody else who's in deeper sleep. It's got to hit Morgoth. So he groans and everybody stirs. I love the yeah. way the lay really gets foreboding. It, yeah. You know, hinting at the yeah. wolf owl, which we'll we'll get to shortly. But um, yeah, why take two? Why take? Yeah. Do you have any thoughts? I mean, I, you know, I guess the, the no. obvious answer is it. They just tempted him. He just got greedy, like they tempt everybody. Yeah. But I mean, is it greed? I don't see greed. It doesn't say that. You know, greed came into Baron's mind. It was that. Well, that's true. I, I wonder if it was just an, um, well, pride. I mean, I'll show that Could thing be. old guy. You know, yeah. Bring I'm him not going to come back with just I'll one. I'm going to come three. back with all three. <laughs> I'll yeah. show him, and you know that would certainly be a, an inappropriate pride and. <laughs> Foolish pride. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Or maybe he just wanted an engagement an engagement ring. To give to he Luke hadn't DNA. stopped at sales yeah. yet. Yeah. And he knew that he, he needed a big stone. Yeah. I mean, she oh, is a princess went, after all. Yeah, he, she's a princess. He went to Jared. <laughs> <laughs> he went to Jared? Right. <laughs> right oh, now, man. I'm sure some of our non-U.S. listeners are wondering. Yeah, those, both Zales and Jared are um, <laughs> retail jewelers. Um, yeah. Yeah, just an incredible, incredible passage. And now things are starting to wake up, and this is bad. So we're going to skip yeah. the paragraph, and I'm going to read the next section here with the fight, the the, the confrontation with, uh, with Karkaroth. Luthien was spent, and she had not time nor strength to quell the wolf. But Baron strode forth before her, and in his right hand he held aloft the Silmaril. Karkaroth halted and for a moment was afraid. Get you gone and fly, cried Baron, for here is a fire that shall consume you and all evil things. And he thrust the Silmaril before the eyes of the wolf. Probably should have just thrust it in his pocket, but... Um, <laughs> so, so, so sorry. But Karkaroth looked upon that holy jewel and was not daunted, and the devouring spirit within him awoke to sudden fire. And gaping, he took suddenly the hand within his jaws and he bit it off at the wrist. Then, swiftly, all his inwards were filled with a flame of anguish, and the Silmaril seared his accursed flesh. Howling, he fled before them, and the walls of the valley of the gate echoed with the clamor of his torment. So terrible did he become in his madness that all the creatures of Morgoth that abode in that valley or were upon any of the roads that led thither fled far away, for he slew all living things that stood in his path and burst from the north with ruin upon the world. Of all the terrors that came ever into Beleriand ere Angband's fall, the madness of Karkaroth was the most dreadful, for the power of the Silmaril was hidden within him. Wow. Ooh, my goodness. <laughs> well, that's going to leave a mark. That is uh, going <laughs> to... <laughs> Hungry like the wolf. <laughs> oh, that's well done. Very nicely done. Oh, um, man. 
I, you know, you, you talk, you made the joke. I, I didn't want to interrupt your reading because, because uh, it was, it was really, it's a nice passage. It is. But you, you made, you commented on him. You know, he should have just stuck it in his pocket. I do love the fact that he, you oh, know, yeah. he's really using the light of the Silmaril as a weapon. Well, and you know, very much like that Frodo <laughs> moment, right? You know, he's holding up yeah, the light, exactly. and it's the mm-hmm. same light. Just for yeah. those of you who haven't figured that out, um, yeah. holds up that light, and it, he holds it up as a weapon. And yeah, yeah I love that. That boldness. Yeah, of and course. Really, I mean, and then it ultimately does become a weapon, yeah. well, not quite the way he not intended. Not the way he intended. To. Yeah, yeah. Not, that's, I'm sure that's not what he had in mind. Yeah. But I guess in a way, it really was the only way to to escape. Um, yeah. You know, had he not, had Karkaroth not consumed the Silmaril and then basically, you know, lit himself on fire from the inside out, uh, <laughs> what would have happened? I mean, Luthien, Luthien's cooldown hadn't finished yet, so she she was powerless. <laughs> right, she's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, she's like, man, I can't, somebody heal me, somebody quick. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I need mana. Yeah, I know. Can somebody give me a, you know, a potion or something? Yeah. Uh, a blue potion. I don't need the red potions. Right. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, she yeah. couldn't do anything. And I'm sorry, yeah. Baron's a, a really cool guy, and and he's but but now what does he have? He has broken Angrist, and that's it, and a yeah, Silmaril. Sure. So you know you're toast. Um, yeah. So in a way, it really was, was the only weapon he the had. Only of weapon he held it aloft. Yeah. 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 So, but my goodness, Karkaroth needs some Gaviscon or some Tums or something. <laughs> uh, yeah. He is a mess now. He's he is. Uh, yeah, burned from the inside. I like how you put that. Mm. And how else mm. do you put it? I mean, that's exactly what's going yeah. on. Um, wow. I, I mean, there's... there you go. Anything yeah. of evil will. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and I, it seems like the more evil, the worse it gets, right? I mean, that's yeah. the thing. Here here you're looking at accursed flesh. So it just doesn't scorch yeah. and wither. It sears. Yeah. That's, that's a painful sounding thing to have inside you. <laughs> yeah. Um. And he just he's just killing everything. He just becomes a, an absolute unstoppable monstrosity. Uh, mm-hmm. So everybody and again, now he paves an escape route. Not that he needs one. I think we find something else that happens. But you know, he does get rid of all the creatures of Morgoth that that mm-hmm. were in that valley or on any of the roads that, that led there. That's true. So they probably could have yeah. figured out how to get away. But uh, uh, we'll catch it, their express bus here in a minute. Um, <laughs> You know, it. it I, I remember now that as as I was kind of reading over the material for this episode. I, you know, I, I was so struck by just this decision. The, not, excuse me, not decision. This description of, mm-hmm. um, you know, of Karkaroth's reaction to the Silmaril that I actually went to the lay to look and see if there was any cool poetic passages oh, in there yeah. about it. So you you, um, you and, found out where it ends. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't remember that. It's been years since I've read the lay in its entirety. And uh yeah, so it so for listeners, you know, interested in uh the the lay, reading the lay, it does stop at the moment that Baron's hand gets bitten off. Yeah. So yeah. I was very disappointed by that. There, I'm sure some, perhaps if we cool opened up Karkaroth's uh, carcass, we'd find the rest of the lay along with the Silmaril. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly blackened, but... Yeah, exactly. Well, you, you know. could still make out some of the Tengwar. <laughs> Just a... Yeah. What an amazing... And, you know, again, this is the only way they're going to get away. I love mm-hmm. that. Uh, and, and But ouch. Just ouch. Ouch indeed. I mean... Um, I, I don't say this lightly. I almost feel sorry for Karkaroth. Well, yeah. yeah. I was thinking, ouch, in terms of of poor Baron now with a bleeding stump of a hand with venom on it, too. Oh, that's just a flesh wound. It's just (laughs) – 
Come back here, wolf. I'll bleed on you. I'll bleed on you. (laughs) We had to get one of those in. Come on. We'll we'll call it a draw. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll call it a draw. So now everybody's starting to wake up. So she wants to to heal him. She's trying to, to, you know, he's got venom uh, that that was on Karkaroth's fangs. So Mm -hmm. he's, you know, near death. Um, she draws out the venom. She tries to staunch the wound. She doesn't have much power left. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, everybody's starting to wake up. <laughs> Everything, everybody wakes up. The, the this hosts is of bad Morgan. timing. Bad That's, timing. Yeah. And yeah. you got to wonder if if he hadn't tried to get the second one out, might they have had a Time few to extra escape. minutes? I mean, they Sure, yeah. Cause, yeah. Yeah. But, got, I, I, a little bit, little bit of that, uh, the Icarus, you know, the flying yeah. too close to the sun. You know? You're right. That's Really That's a good, that is. good comparison. But as we so often see when it comes to these, um, you know, great fates, the ones that are kind of designed, it seems, by Iluvatar, at least, uh, you know, kind of shepherded by that, mm-hmm. uh, by that power, we see a catastrophe involving the eagles. Um, of course. You know, they show up. And, yep. uh, you know, even Huon himself, I love that, he had bidden that all things watch that they might be able to aid Baron. So sure that was the, really, yeah that was really cool yeah I love that Huan's always it, looking well, out for his guys you know well and remember you know it, it even says you know among all birds and beasts yeah you know we remember that Baron had befriended birds and beasts earlier it's just yeah. a little reminder of um, how Baron and Luthien are friends of nature you know they're, yeah. they're truly in touch with nature and uh, and so often uh, nature triumphs over evil the founding members of the Sierra Club. <laughs> Well, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I know. Maybe maybe not. Um, the Thangora Drum Club. There you go. Uh, Ducks Unlimited. Um, so they uh, <laughs> they get picked up by the Eagles. And again, you know, we this is a moment, you know, we talked about they're always in a um, almost a direct reference to Manway. This seems to me like it might be one of the exceptions because this appears to me that they were watching maybe at the bidding of Huan. Uh, and that they, they you know, Thorondor sees this and comes good dog. down. Good dog. Yeah. Good dog. And who's a good boy? Who's a good Who boy? got the eagles? Good boy, I'm getting you a treat. <laughs> Sorry. That's Please okay. continue. <laughs> Lassie, what's that, Timmy? Somebody's in a well? Baron's hey, trapped in an angband? Baron's trapped, trapped in a well? Let's go get him. Baron's hand is trapped in a wolf? <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing some of the translation there. Oh, man. Um, yeah, so it seems like he's willingly coming down. Thorondor and his vassals soared, and seeing now the madness of the wolf and Baron's fall, they came swiftly down. It's a good point. I, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I still think it's a new catastrophe for sure because they wouldn't have gotten out of here uh, without the without the eagles. Right. Um, but, but it does right. seem there like a, they're there acting on their own independence. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a suggestion that they're they're not just emissaries of Manway as we usually assume they are. Yeah, and I think most of the time they are. Certainly, their their mere existence they owe to Manway. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, they you know that doesn't mean they don't have their own ability to do things. We see yeah. that though repeated in the Hobbit. Certainly, true. Um, so anyway, so they get they get taken out. Uh, they get to see this nice cool flyover view. Um, they get to see. You know, all the fire and oh, yeah. the smoke and the, the, you know, I mean, the Noldor in Hithlum trembled. That gives you an idea of how far. How this, far the, 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 the tremors were felt. Yeah. yeah. So the Rondor gets way up high. 
Uh, they get to see all the stuff, Dor Nufauglith and Tower Nufuin. Mm. They even fly then, <laughs> over Tomb Laden. Tomb Laden. Once again, maybe this, yeah. maybe the theory needs to be: you know where we are, even if you've not been in the city, you're gonna have to come here now. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, <laughs> she's able to see Gondolin uh, from very far away. So, yeah, kind of a Google Maps view. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and you got to think, you know, anybody else would look down and go. What is that thing down there? You know, yeah. <laughs> I heard about a hidden city. I wonder if that's it. Um, <laughs> but she wept. She yeah. she was she too busy. She's too busy uh, grieving for Baron, thinking yeah. that he's going to die because he wasn't um, talking. He wasn't opening his eyes. He, you know, didn't even know anything about the flight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love this. The Rondor doesn't just set them down somewhere. He sets them down in the same place uh, where he had come or where he had left Luthien asleep. When we decided I'm going to oh, go yeah, on my own, who yeah. on take care of her? He leaves yeah. and she's sleeping. That's where we drop where we drop them. That's off. right. Yeah. Uh, so then they go back. Who on? I wonder if there's any significance to that. I don't know. It's you know just nice. It's pretty. Yeah. It's romantic. <laughs> true. Yeah. I don't know. That's true. Um, yeah. So who on comes and the t- the two of them together tend to Baron. Not sure what a dog can do for him, but you know we'll try. Lick um, his wounds. Maybe. Lick his wounds. I guess, but. So she healed him, uh, but this was um, a tough, a tough wound. The, the the poison was was pretty serious. Um, but he did wake up at the very end, and uh, and it was spring. Now we don't get a, a time of you know how much time passes mm-hmm. between between their return or even between you know when they when they took the the Silmaril. Uh, but certainly an amount of time has passed. Yeah, um, you know, awaking in spring. Implies that it was at least winter when they landed, because uh, <laughs> yeah. if it was spring when they landed, it wouldn't make any point to say it was spring again. Very um, true, very true. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so got... they've definitely spent some time on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, the recovery took a while. So what's um, um, you've got the next paragraph? I think uh, telling us a little yeah. bit about his uh, his new way of doing things, <laughs> his, new, <laughs> his new look. <laughs> um, yeah. Thereafter, Baron was named Erhamion, which is the one-handed, and suffering was graven in his face. Mm. But at last he was drawn back to life by the love of Luthien, and he arose, and together they walked in the woods once more. And they did not hasten from that place, for it seemed fair to them. Luthien, indeed, was willing to wander in the wild without returning, forgetting house and people and all the glory of the elf kingdoms. And for a time, Baron was content. But he could not for long forget his oath to return to Menegroth, no. nor would he withhold Luthien for, from Thingol forever. For he held by the law of men, deeming it perilous to set it not the will of the Father, save at the last need. And it seemed also to him unfit that one so royal and fair as Luthien should live always in the woods, as the rude hunters among men, without home or honor, or the fair things which are the delight of the queens of the Eldalie. Therefore, after a while, he persuaded her, and their footsteps forsook the houseless lands, and he passed into Doriath, leading Luthien home. Hmm. So their doom willed it. So their doom willed it, indeed. <laughs> yeah. I love this. I love his honor. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, the, He's... This, the, I'm not going to ignore what Thingol... I, I can't set his will to be nothing. And, right. And you're a princess. You don't deserve to live like you this. De- you deserve more than this, Yeah. What's incredible about his honor is you contrast that with Thingol, who yeah. is fully prepared to kill him if he walks back in the door. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, despite he was even the, willing to kill him earlier. Because it didn't matter that I promised I wouldn't kill him. If I thought right. there was a chance, I'd kill him now. That's true. Right. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, Baron's just got so much honor here. And we talked about that in the previous episode. Yeah. I, I just think it's uh, I think it's really cool. He really is incredibly admirable. <laughs> really. Is. Yeah. Yes. Um, I mean, he tr- well, he he would have to be a very, very special person. Oh, yeah. To win the love of Luthien. And so and you really do see it. And to be part of this plan. Yeah. And to be part of this plan. Very good point. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that he had to persuade her. She was willing to live out there. She was I willing love that to too. continue yeah. living in the woods. My dad's a jerk. I don't want to go back home. Mm-hmm. Um, but he persuades her and they go. There's a humility there on there Luthien's really part. There really is. Absolutely. She, and again, going back to Baron's honor, you know, he doesn't have to bring the Silmaril back to Thingol. He's already got her. He's yeah. he's got she's he's right got, there. <laughs> he's got the woman he loves. Yeah, she's yeah. right there. She wants to stay with him forever. But well, he's, forever until they die. Well, yes. <laughs> right. But he's made a promise. Uh, exactly. And, and so he's he's going to hold to it. And I notice it's um, called the law of men. Mm, yeah. The, he held by the law of men. So this is something that you know the elves didn't necessarily do. The, the men came up with this law. Oh, that interesting. We, that we that, don't set it not the will of the father. The will of the father. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Just little things. Though if I keep yeah. noticing all those little things, this is going to be a three-hour episode. So <laughs> meanwhile, in Metagroth. Well on our way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, meanwhile in Metagroth, uh, you know, we're not going to read a lot of this. We're not going to read much of this at all. Uh, we're just going to see what happened. But needless to say, after Luthien left, uh, grief and silence had come. Uh, Dairon strayed and was seen no more. Uh, he, you know, he he was named even before Maglor as this the greatest of all the minstrels. But he kept looking for her and was just in despair, and he ended up passing over into the east, and he just made lament beside dark waters for Luthien for the rest of his life. Um, She's which, not dead yet. I know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And isn't it, but, you pointed out that, that when he ratted her out before, he was doing it to he, keep her close. To keep her close. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't want her to go away with this man. He wanted right. to keep her close. So he, you know, even if he knew he didn't really have a shot with her romantically, Yeah. Uh, which I don't think he I, – I, I think he I probably did he think he had a shot with her. Well, yeah. Um, and he wanted one. But uh, he just – he wanted to keep her close. Um, and, yeah, ironically, yeah. in doing so, by ratting her out continually, that pushes her away. Yeah. And now that she's on her way back, he leaves. I mean, he doesn't yeah. know she's coming back, but yeah. <laughs> right. Poor guy. Kind of feel sorry for him. I do. Well, and he's, you know, I'm sure he's out there writing, you know, wonderful love songs because he is the greatest of the minstrels, and he's got a broken yep, heart. And we all know broken hearts make the best songs. They do. So <laughs> they do. Yeah. Better than better than Maglor. Yeah. Better than Maglor, which is really saying something. Yeah, because you know Maglor wrote about killing Tellery. That's, that's a, that's, a, that's a death that metal his, song, right? That's, his concept album was about the kinslaying. <laughs> it's a little dark, son. You want to yeah. you, you maybe write something a little more pop-oriented there? We can get on the charts. <laughs> um, I love yeah. this line. In that time, Thingol turned to Melian, but now she withheld her counsel from him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you never listened to me never anyway. Listen to me anyway, yeah. <laughs> This is like, come on, really? You're asking me now? It's like, but he's, but he's honey, but he's like, honey, I'm asking this time. Come I know. on, tell me. I'm finally asking. It's just too late. No. It's too late. And of course, she's just not. You're so say smart. That. You figure it out yourself again, yeah. Mr. Thingall, <laughs> Mr. Gray Cloak. <laughs> oh goodness. So you know, um, during this time, he also finds out Thingall. That is, 
finds well he finds out he gets messages uh, from from Kelligorm that Finrod's dead. Uh, mm-hmm. They also lie and tell them that Baron's dead and that they've got Luthien and that, that Kelligorm wants to marry her. So Thingol, well guys, Thingol's real happy about that. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's not going to well, send I, back yeah. a note. He wants to send an army. Yeah, I, I know. I love that. I love that. <laughs> What's cr- what cracks me up about this is that he'll send her human boyfriend to certain death, but <laughs> yeah. he'll actually start a war to keep her from marrying a son of Feanor. Yeah, I guess that's that. That speaks well of Baron. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, he's not going to go wipe out the people of Bayor just because right. Baron comes along. <laughs> well, he can't. <laughs> no, that's true. There aren't. Just pretty much they're already wiped out. Morgoth already yeah. did the job. Um, but then he finds out, of course, that Luthien isn't there. And he realizes, oh, man, I can't, like, fight all the sons of Feanor at once. So, well, never mind. Army okay. can come back. Um, but he did, you know, he did want to find he, – he wanted to get their help in finding Luthien because, hey, you didn't send her to me and you didn't keep her safe. And that's just not cool. Um, but those messengers, the messengers that he'd sent uh, to, to, to talk to the sons of Feanor, most of them get killed by Karkaroth. Uh, and in fact, the only one that escaped was Mablo, and he brings the news uh, back to Thingol, and boy, it's not good news. No. Um, but, and we'll read this next little paragraph here. Let's see. Do we have anything to talk about before we get to that? I don't want to go too fast. I don't want to—I realize we're, we're kind of pushing time, and I thought, you know, I'll just keep moving. But is there anything we want to talk about before we get to the passage about sure. the actual return? I don't think so, right? I don't, I don't think so. Maybe um, the only thing well, the, is the that, fact that the might of Melian upon the borders exactly, of the land that's didn't the first stop thing. him, stayed him not. Yeah, yeah, because fate. Um, once again, fate drove him. Right, um, right, and yeah. also the power of the Silmaril. He's yeah. he's just sort of he's maddened by this mm-hmm. this burning power. Yeah. Um, can you imagine the smell of a dog burning from the inside? <laughs> That's just dogs Man. already smell bad enough, you know. If exactly. Wet, wet you think dog wet is bad, dog smells bad? Imagine burning dog, burning dog, burning from the stomach out. Wow. Burning dog is that? Is that a music festival or is that a festival they have out in the desert? Yeah, out the, in the desert. Yeah, yeah. I went to Burning Dog back in '98, but it's yeah, it's not it's not cool anymore, man. <laughs> uh, oh man. Well, here we get to the fulfillment of a vow, or as I would call it, don't call me stumpy. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the next little bit here. Uh, I am sorry. You know, we try to – here's the thing. We take the material really seriously and then sometimes we, we don't. We do. We do. And hopefully that comes across. I think so. I think people know we have. We have to punch we, it up every once in a while. We do. This is getting, we're getting into some pretty dark stuff here. Yeah. We really are. And it's – you know, we got to poke fun not so much at, at, you know, Tolkien's writing. There's nothing to poke fun at. No. He's brilliant. No, the writing is beautiful. Um, hopefully our reading – Hopefully, our reading of it and the and the time we spend on it, yeah, um, I hope that you know, shows it, it shows how much we really just appreciate this. But oh, uh, incredibly, you got You got to have some, you got to have some fun with it. You do, and and we we're probably getting sometimes we get out of hand, but you know nobody's complained yet. So there yep. you have it. Even in that dark hour, Baron and Luthien returned, hastening from the west, and the news of their coming went before them like a sound of music, borne by the wind into dark houses where men sit sorrowful. They came at last to the gates of Menegroth, and a great host followed them. Then Baron led Luthien before the throne of Thingol her father, and he looked in wonder upon Baron, whom he, th- he had thought dead. But he loved him not, 
because of the woes that he had brought upon Doriath. To which I would say, I'm sorry, who brought the woes upon Doriath? Right, I know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, Come on. I digress. He brought it on himself. Seriously. But Baron knelt before him and said, I return according to my word. I am come now to claim my own. And Thingol answered, What of your quest and of your vow? But Baron said, It is fulfilled. Even now a Silmaril is in my hand. Then Thingol said, Show it to me. And Baron put forth his left hand, slowly opening its fingers, but it was empty. Then he held up his right arm, and from that hour he named himself Camlost, the empty-handed. <laughs> My goodness. A little a little melodramatic, right? I mean A little, yeah. I yeah. love the way he says it. I love the way he, you know. The he's left using hand, Thingol's the own sl- word. I, the I, slow I, opening of the fingers. You know, yeah. Is it in this hand? <laughs> you know, not yeah. here. How about this <laughs> you one? see him as like a David Blaine or something, yeah. you know, just like <laughs> <laughs> just kind of rolling out those sli- fingers. Slide of hand, like. And then how about over? Uh, and like, oh, but wait, my right hand's gone. Yeah. Check your pockets, <laughs> Thingol. Maybe it's there. No. Um, well, I I do love that he's soft. I mean, I'm, we stopped reading well, there, but the next line is nice, that Thingol's mood, Thingol's was, softened, mood was softened. And yeah. now Baron sits before <laughs> his throne. And and I love that. Um, the the sap before his throne upon the left is, is really cool. Baron on the left, Luthien upon the right. I yeah. think that's that that's, shows so much. That does. That does. You um <laughs> I don't want to make light of it again, but just it's hard not Thingol's to mood Thingol's mood soft. I just I, I just imagine him like looking at Baron and thinking, I get it, it's in your hand. Oh, that's good. That's a good one. Well yeah. played. I've been played. <laughs> uh yeah. My little girl has found a clever man. You did well, honey. This guy's got a sense of humor. I like that. Shame about the hand, though. I know, really. You had to go a long way for a joke. Um, No, you know, it's... No, but he he saw... I like the fact that... All kidding aside, I like the fact that he softened. He he realized that Baron has made a sacrifice for this quest. A huge, huge sacrifice. And that, indeed, he has achieved what he... He has achieved his quest, yeah. I mean, I think at this point he has to take his word for it. He hasn't seen the Silmaril. True. But, uh, you know, there's – it seems unlikely he would just go out and cut off his own hand and say, well, it's in my hand. It's in my – I mean <laughs> – That would have been if, – if Baron hadn't had the honor that he had, I guess – Right, uh, that's, that's kind of a cheating way of doing it. I swear there's a, there's a Silmaril in my hand. It just – Yeah. You, know. you just got to go find it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now that's your I job. left it back on the floor of Angband. <laughs> yeah, it's the floor no of idea. hell. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so they, they marry. The last he yielded his will, Baron took the hand of Luthien before the throne of her father. I love that. It's simple, mm-hmm. but it's beautiful. Um, but now they're all a little worried because there's still this wolf out there. Yeah. Um, you know, actually, before we go into that, I just think it's uh, – I, I like Thingol's realization in that same paragraph that it seemed to Thingol that this man was unlike all other oh, mortal yeah. men. Yeah, I missed that. You're right. I didn't... He's finally realized that. You know, he's he's fought fate so much yes, in this story. Well, and, and he's so finally many realized other stories, really. Yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah, and he's finally he's finally come around. He's finally figured it out. Um, what <laughs> Melian and others knew. Yeah. But you know, he he kind of had to see it for himself. He kind of had to be convinced. And um, there's something very uh, rewarding about the fact that he finally comes around to that. There really is. You're right. Perceiving that their doom might not be withstood by any power of the world. Mm-hmm. Recognizing this is a fate greater yeah. than Arda. 
that, right. that only Iluvatar could have written this story. Right. Um, and of course, you know, as as one of the uh, Calaquendi, you know, um, ruling over Moraquendi, but as a as a Calaquendi and who you know is married to an Ainu, uh, he certainly has some insight to that. So yeah, definitely, that is a good moment. That really is. I'm glad you you pointed that out because I kind of glossed over it. I guess I'm I'm just afraid we're going to go three hours, but <laughs> I don't think we will. I think we're moving pretty good. And I think, I think we're doing all right. Yeah, it's just t- there's so much in this chapter. So much happens, and we yeah. haven't even gotten to the hunt. But we're about to. Oh, that's true. We are about to. So, um, yeah, amazing yeah, stuff. Yeah. So we're we're so we're getting to uh, so we're getting to the shadow fell upon the joy of Doriath, right? Yeah. Uh, well, well, yeah. Not the, it's the chapter after uh, the paragraph after that is the one I've I've marked for you to read. It's uh, the one that yeah. starts with therefore. But yeah, so we get the the shadow falls. They are terrified because they know that this is going to be a problem. And Baron, who finally has his prize understands the quest still isn't done right He's still got more work because karkaroth has to be dealt with yeah must be mm-hmm. so what happens then well in short because again he is he is honorable and yeah that's bad. his his uh you know his quest has has loosed this evil upon yeah you know, upon doriath yeah upon doriath <clears throat> so all right well i'll go ahead and read the next paragraph then therefore since daily karkaroth drew nearer to menegroth they prepared the hunting of the wolf of all pursuits of beasts whereof tales tell the most perilous. To that chase went Huan, the hound of Valinor, and Mablung of the Heavy Hand, and Beleg Strongbow, and Baron Camion, and Thingol, king of Doriath. They rode forth in the morning and passed over the river Escaldwin, but Luthien remained behind at the gates of Menegroth. A dark shadow fell upon her, and it seemed to her that the sun had sickened and turned black. What a cast of characters. I know. Look it's at like, the... Oh. It's like the starting lineup, you know? It's, it's the like, who's yeah. who of like... Yeah. 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 Huan, so, Mablung, Beleg, Baron, yeah. and Thingol. Ladies and gentlemen, your heroes, the hunting of the wolf. You know, yeah. <laughs> starting at point guard Huan, at, at five, seven. Valinor, yeah. At, at 12 hands tall, Huan, the hound <laughs> of Valinor. <laughs> at shooting guard... Standing six yeah. foot one of the heavy hand, Mablung. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I love it. So yeah. cool. And the hunting of the wolf. Yes. The hunting I'm, of the wolf, capitalized. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm avoiding another Duran Duran reference here. You've Please. already gone there. I know. I did. <laughs> I may regret that at some point. <laughs> um, so cool. Dark and, in the uh, city. <laughs> I can't remember the rest. I'm, of the I'm trying to remember, remember any words. words to it. No, let's not. Let's, yeah. yeah, hungry like the wolf. And I'm hungry like the wolf. Um, I'm old. Luthien. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> I had that on cassette tape when it first came out. Vinyl. How was it? Vinyl. Oh wow. Yeah. Legit. <laughs> um, but yeah, I you know it's uh it's interesting you know Luthien stays behind you know yeah. she's. She's not one to shy away from a quest. But, no, no, uh, she has no problem, you know, getting in the action, getting in the thick right. of things. But she stays back, and it seems to her the sun had sickened. And I wonder black. if her dad made her stay behind. I mean, we yeah, we talked. About, I don't know if he could have made her. Well, <laughs> we that's see how that true. really works he out. Probably can't it? make her do anything she doesn't want She's, to do. Yeah, true. she was she was his strong-willed child. Um, yeah, I I I I think this is for her a sense of of foreboding, 
of knowing could be because as we'll see sure the sun sickened and turned black i mean she definitely she this dark shadow that's fallen upon her yeah you're yeah. probably right there's some yeah. some foreboding there so they get close to him uh, he notices though that they're getting close and so he gets sneaky and uh, and hides and um, they set a guard all about and you know you just think well if they can just be patient but you know who on? <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and read, starting with, uh, it looks like about paragraph two later. Baron stood beside Thingol, and suddenly they were aware that Huon had left their side. Then a great baying awoke in the thicket, for Huon, becoming impatient and desiring to look upon this wolf, had gone in alone to dislodge him. But Karkaroth avoided him, and bursting from the thorns, leaped suddenly upon Thingol. Swiftly Baron strode before him with a spear, but Karkaroth swept it aside and felled him, biting at his breast. In that moment, Huon leaped from the thicket upon the back of the wolf, and they fell together, fighting bitterly. And no battle of wolf and hound has been like to it, for in the baying of Huon was heard the voice of the horns of Orome and the wrath of the Valar. But in the howls of Karkaroth was the hate of Morgoth and malice crueler than teeth of steel, and the rocks were rent by their clamor, and fell from on high, and choked the falls of Escalduin. There they fought to the death, but Thingol gave no heed, for he knelt by Baron, seeing that he was sorely hurt. Huon in that hour slew Karkaroth, but there in the woven woods of Doriath his own doom long spoken was fulfilled, and he was wounded mortally, and the venom of Morgoth entered into him. Then he came, and falling beside Baron, spoke for the third time with words, and he bade Baron farewell before he died. Baron spoke not, but laid his hand upon the head of the hound, and so they parted. Wow. Oh, Huan. I'm, I'm very sad that we don't have Huan's last words. I know, like I'd his, hoped his, they'd his, been in the lay, but... His actual dialogue, yeah. but yeah, since the lay cuts off. Oh, yeah. man, that's such a... a but but what a death, you know, yeah. what an end it was. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm, he'll go I'm back s- and tell Luthien we sent Huon to a farm out in the country, but, you know. <laughs> well, <I'm, laughs> it's funny you say that because I was just thinking how, how sad it is that Thingol doesn't give any heed to the fight. You know, he's oh. – it's great that he's, you know, focusing on Baron. He, he finally yeah. – Seems to give some love to his future son-in-law. But, but you got to wonder if like a spear at that point might have been helpful. <laughs> While <laughs> yeah, he's really. distracted, you know? Yeah, really. And and even just the fact that Thingol doesn't really seem to to realize how significant uh, a role Huon has played. You know? No, you're right. Um, Maybe. He doesn't. He doesn't. I mean, of course he couldn't. How could he know no, how no. much Huon has done for Luthien? But, you know, Huon was more than just a great dog and he was a great dog yeah. but he was a friend and a counselor to yeah. to Luthien and um I just find it sad that Thingol doesn't even really notice his his final fight yeah and what a fight it is oh I love that man description the, the voice, voice of the, of the horns, horns of, of Orme, Orme. <laughs> and the oh. wrath of the Valar and then the hate, hate of Morgoth him. and malice crueler than teeth of steel man oh, that's that's just good phrase, stuff isn't it and, and yeah. the, the baying and the howling are so loud, the rocks are falling. I mean, it's causing mm-hmm. an avalanche of rocks to choke the waterfall. Yeah. Um, yeah. My goodness. 
Yeah, that's the the first thing that came to my mind when I was reading this was, oh, I better get to the lay. I want to see if they've got the words. <laughs> and that's when I re- rediscovered what you discovered, which is yeah. that it ends at the the, oh. the hand bite. I want to know what he said. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. There's dog, a couple. There are a couple the dog of little. Food wasn't as good as I'd liked. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I never straight. liked dry. <laughs> Sorry. Straight from the words of Mr. Alan Sisto. Yeah, well. Huan's last words. No. <laughs> I'm sure it was something honorable, something wise, probably See something you about how to love Luthien. See you soon. <laughs> <laughs> well done, sir. Something about, you know, protect and love Luthien and, probably. you know, uh, just some wonderful advice. Yeah. Yeah. Good Beautiful dog. Stuff. Good dog. Good, good dog, indeed. So Mabling and Beleg get there. Um, they see what happened. They open up the, the, the wolf, and that's where they see Baron's hand still intact, even though the rest of the wolf was like a bunch incorrupt. of love- charred nothing. Yeah. Uh, totally incorrupt. But then he goes to touch it. That's and the so hand cool. Is and then he touches gone. it, and it just disappears. Poof. <laughs> And there's the silver. That's so cool. That Isn't is so it? cool. That's amazing. And, and again, there are moments, there are moments where I think if it was done right, what an amazing cinematic moment that would be. And then I realize yeah. I don't know if it could ever be done right. So we'll just leave it. Well, it's like for every scene like this, that would be really cool to see on screen. I just think. Gold-plated yeah, smoke. But... <laughs> what was it? Gold-plated Gold-plated smog. That's that's all I think of. And then <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, exactly. No, never I just mind. think of like, I mean, just I'm just imagining Huan and you know, like a, a little oh, some bad animated, you know, animated yeah. speaking yeah. mouth effect. And I just think, no, don't don't need it. No, yeah, you probably. But I'm right. with you. There are some scenes that I would just love to see. Yeah, Morgoth falling and the crown falling off his head. That would have been a really cool scene too. But that would yeah, have been cool. This Although one, you the, can the just poetry see it. conjures such an image too, so. doesn't it? You can really see this in your in your head, you know this, mm-hmm. the the corpse of the wolf, mm-hmm. um, you know, all blackened and and just you know just destroyed, uh, yeah. and then this hand intact, with the glow, the red glow through the flesh, and then mm-hmm. you reach out and touch it, and the hand's gone, and there's this Silmaril, and the light of it filled the shadows of the forest all about them. Yeah. So Mablung takes so cool. it, and I love this. He doesn't take it and keep it or even take it and oh, give no. it to the king. He takes it and puts it in Baron's hand. Quickly and in fear, well, I would yeah. add. Like, uh, I just want to make sure I have smart... clean will. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm not touching this more than I have to. No. Um, where are those tongs again? Yeah, you know? seriously, I could use some tongs. Anybody got a pair? Uh, and he's aroused by the touch, and he holds it up, and he gives it to Thingol. And he mm-hmm. says, now is the quest achieved and my doom full rot. Yeah. Is that a moment or what? Man, so cool. Oh, so they bring back him. They bring back Huan. Um, Okay, well, so there does seem to be a little bit of recognition of the part Huan has played. You know, um, he's he's by his side at least. Yeah, yeah. They're they're, they're bringing him back in honor. Yeah, on a beer of branches. You're right. I mean, he's a dog. You don't normally put a dog on a beer of branches. You'd probably just, you know, like you said, you just bury him and tell everybody you sent him to a farm in the country. Right. Uh, so, will I ever so, get over yeah. that? Will I ever get over that? <laughs> I'm sorry. No, it never, I, it never happened. I'm just playing. Um, oh, good. Yeah, yeah so they, they find Luthien, and she's at the feet of the tree that she escaped from before, Hirolorn, this massive beach. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think you've got actually this next little bit, right? This is such a moment, such a moment. Yeah, I I love this moment. It's, uh, well, we'll just just let it stand for itself and then we'll talk about it. Go for it. There she set her arms about Baron and kissed him, bidding him await her beyond the Western Sea. And he looked upon her eyes ere the spirit left him. But the starlight was quenched and darkness had fallen even upon Luthien Tenuvio. Thus ended the quest of the Silmaril. But the Lay of Lathian, released from bondage, does not end. For the spirit of Baron, at her bidding, tarried in the halls of Mandos, unwilling to leave the world, until Luthien came to say her last farewell upon the dim shores of the outer sea, whence men that die set out never to return. But the spirit of Luthien fell down into darkness, and at the last it fled, and her body lay like a flower that is suddenly cut off and lies for a while, unwithered on the grass. Once again, we get a beautiful flower picture with Luthien. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen a lot of those, the flower yeah. and, and the scent. Yeah. And, and you pointed out yeah. you pointed out this unwithered on the grass, which mm-hmm. um, seems to recall oh, yeah. Muriel's death yeah. and the idea that her body was literally, Being unwithered. you know, literally not decomposing, literally unwithered. Um, I never really amazing. even thought about this, that, that it would be, you know, I never really, really thought to take this literally, but I think you're right. I think, yeah. I think that is what's going on here. Well, yeah, it's we such... look at, uh, in fact, that's the exact word. We get the maidens of Este tended the body of Muriel and it remained unwithered, but she okay. did not return. Yeah. So, yeah, the exact same phrasing. Wow. Um, in this one, nobody has to tend it. Uh, I don't know if that's significant or not. Um, but, oh, what a beautiful moment. And, you know, it also yeah. gives us some, some insight into what happens with men. We know that they leave the world forever, that they yes. can't stay, that they can't stay forever, that they leave and they don't return. And we've known that for a long time. But it appears they get one last bus stop at Mandos <laughs> right. before they before they get yeah. you know, out to the shores of the outer sea. And, and I, he's going to stay wonder, there and hang out and yeah. wait for her. And I wonder, this is pure speculation because we don't know, but I, I mean, I wonder if they they have a sojourn in the halls of Mandos similar to what elves do where they kind of – Yeah, some sort of purgatorial you know, thing perhaps. Yeah, again. Yeah, well, you know that was a that that was something. If you remember episode ten when we did that thing on death, that was in his original concepts. I mean, I I, I don't want to put too much stock in that because so many of his original concepts changed. I mean, there were, elves yeah. originally reincarnated into baby bodies and all of that, and and he obviously abandoned many of those things. Right, right. But I, if you remember, there was. And, there and was had, like a ju- there was a different judgment. There were three for different elves judgments. And, and there, yeah, right. or there were three different fates. Like men could, mm-hmm. they were at this time the early stage, if I remember yeah, correctly. Stages, yeah. The yeah. the best ones were sent to Valinor or to something that was like Valinor. It's like a separate. I think it was a separate place in Valinor that was for men. Others were sent to, right, yeah. to basically hell. It was um, you know to to Melkor, mm-hmm. and the others were on some boat. That kept sailing around. That's right. Forever, That's right. The boat. Yes, some purgatorial I do sort of thing. I, I and I don't know that I'm remembering all the details I, accurately. I really don't know that I am. Yeah, I wonder if that was like a purgatory or a limbo or something. A limbo. You know, yeah, I think it was weird. limbo. Was probably more more accurate. But um, th- it certainly would. You know, th- that wouldn't be a surprise given Tolkien's uh, you know Catholic background, particularly right. uh, as opposed to maybe other um, denominations of Christianity. Um, right. That that. The idea of a purgatorial thing would be uh, would make sense, but right. I love that he's willing to wait for her just he's to gonna, say yeah. goodbye. Yeah, not and to he wait has no for idea. her to be reunited. No, he has no idea what's no. going to come. Right, 
if, as far as he knows, it's over. I'm, but I'm going to wait here just so yeah. I can say goodbye. Yeah. Wow. It's beautiful. That the beautiful love, love. The love between these two is, so is incredible. Deep. So, it's incredible. so deep. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, you just can't help but start to cry. I mean, you're, you're yeah. really thinking about that. I mean, here's a guy who's willing to wait a, a near eternity, you know, because Luthien is immortal. Uh, and it may yeah. take her a very long time. He doesn't know that she's going to, you know, essentially die very shortly. Um, right. But he's going to wait for her. And so, it's, and it's, and yeah, it's, it really is beautiful. It, it truly it, is. It, it I, really is. I, I, I'm going to read the next couple paragraphs and then there's just a ton to talk about. I mean, I know we're, we're, but, we're not pushing time right now, but there's so well, much to talk about in this last bit. There is, uh, but I'm going to I'm going to beg your pardon one second here yeah, before please. we move on, which oh, is yeah. and just bring up uh, just just the piece of their passing, both of them. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, in both cases, we see, um, you know, Baron's spirit left him. Luthien's yes. spirit fled. It's it is a very peaceful passing of the spirit out of their it bodies is for both um, of them. Yeah. Yeah, and we do see, um, especially look at things like Lord of the Rings. You know, you see um, how the wise kings of men, um, yeah. including Aragorn, they That's all exactly eventually the example I'm thinking their, of. Yeah, they all eventually greet their death willingly. They know yeah. that death is a gift from Iluvatar, and it's just it's very peaceful, and I, I find that very poignant. Um, yeah, poignant is a great word. And it's also. Um, it reminds me of uh, there's an extremely violent death coming in the next chapter <laughs> yes, that I will is. not spoil. But um, it's such a contrast to that. I will probably bring this back up when we talk about the next chapter just because I'm going to yeah. need something to cheer me up. <laughs> yeah, the next chapter is a rough one. Uh, yeah. So um, it's it's just a beautiful a beautiful is. thing. You know, they're, they're both right. dying. But but you're reminded about how, um, how, how how good of a thing death can really be. And I love that he, the last thing he saw was her eyes. He looked upon her oh, eyes yeah. and his spirit left him. I, oh, wow, yeah. I just, you know, that's the last conscious thought that he has is the eyes of the woman that he loves. Wow. And it's, it's upon her request that he waits. So he waits yeah. for her. But yeah. he, he doesn't have to wait as long as we thought because then a winter, as it were, the hoar age of mortal men, fell upon Thingol. But Luthien came to the halls of Mandas, where are the appointed places of the Eldalie, beyond the mansions of the west, upon the confines of the world. There those that wait sit in the shadow of their thought. But her beauty was more than their beauty, and her sorrow deeper than their sorrows. And she knelt before Mandas and sang to him. The song of Luthien before Mandas was the song most fair that ever in words was woven, and the song most sorrowful that ever the world shall hear. Unchanged, imperishable, it is sung still in Valinor, beyond the hearing of the world, and listening, the Valar are grieved. For Luthien wove two themes of words, of the sorrow of the Eldar and the grief of men of the two kindreds that were made by Iluvatar to dwell in Arda, the kingdom of earth amid the innumerable stars. And as she knelt before him, her tears fell upon his feet like rain upon the stones, and Mandos was moved to pity, who never before was so moved 
nor has been since. Hmm. I wish I could hear that song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. The most sorrowful and the most fair. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's it's interesting that it's still it's sung still in Valinor beyond the hearing of the world. Yeah. It's still it's, in their, still in their top 40, still in their, their yeah, playlist. Right. I mean, uh, these are the Valar. Yeah. You know, they they sang the music that that led to the creation the of the universe. Absolutely. Uh, this is still in their top 40. It's uh, it's incredibly profound. It um, is. The insight that Luthien must have to be able to weave together two themes. Yeah. One of elves and one of men. And and the, the language here so clearly echoes the language of the Ainulindale. Doesn't and, it? And the, and the various themes. Um, it, I, I I just don't know what to say about it that's going to do it justice. It's it's just uh, – it's a lovely, lovely, lovely thought. It really is. And we're reminded of some key things here. I The the two kindreds that were made by Elevatar to dwell in Arda – you know we're gonna we're gonna touch more about that here as we talk about their uh, their union, uh, what happens next. But um, the fact that dwarves are not really included in this particular spot, the two kindreds that were made by Luvatar to dwell in Arda. Yes, the dwarves are allowed, but they were not the ones originally intended or made to dwell here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's important because we get to a little bit of that here in terms of the elves and men. Um, so there's that. There's the mm-hmm. sorrow of the Eldar and the grief of men. I, those two, of course, are, are absolute synonyms, and they really could mean the exact same thing. But somehow, somehow I see a slight difference, and I know this probably only applies to the Noldor, but there's just a bit of regret, a hint of regret in sorrow. I, I, I don't know. You know, you know I, I, think, I think you're on to something with the difference. Um, I think— I can see sorrow going a little beyond just the Noldor and really just, you know, think about when we've talked about the differences between elves and men, we talk about the serial longevity that the elves yeah. have and yeah. how, um, you know, they're, they're doomed to, um, immortality, uh, if you want to call it that. Well, fate. Um, <clears throat> doomed, doomed as in fated as opposed to like punished. Right. Yeah. Well, right. Yes. But I guess I also mean it in the negative sense. Oh, okay. It is, it's kind of a negative thing it for is. them. It is. They abs- um, I, I, I always go back to that line that the, the messengers from Valinor say to the guys in Numenor, yeah. you know, which one of us should, should be jealous of the other. Right. You, know, I, I, <laughs> you, you right. want what we have. There are times we want what you have. Right. Yeah. And I think that um, this idea of the elves just being just being sorrowful for an Arda that they've lost, but you know that they've lost the the Arda of old. Arda is constantly changing, yeah. and they're stuck there. They have to they have to live through all of its various changes. And yeah. uh, I can see that being a sorrow. It, it is a little different from grief because grief is uh, is what you feel for someone who's who's passed and who's gone forever. Yeah, I don't know. Typically I, I, I'm having a little, I guess I am having a little trouble articulating it, but I think you're onto something there. And I think that, I think that sorrow is just sort of the, the modus operandi of the elves and grief <laughs> yeah, uh, is, is that of men. It's, uh, yeah. Wow. It's lovely. It really is beautiful. And I, I love the description of her tears that they fell upon the feet of Mandas like rain upon the stones. 
mm-hmm. and he was moved to pity. A, and I, a guy who never has experienced pity never in ever his existence. No, um, never ever moved to pity. He is the, you know, he is the the, the stern speaker yeah. of doom. You know, every time he, he looks he never, at Nienna, he just shakes his head. <laughs> there goes that crazy <laughs> you, Nienna. You you cry too much, sister. That, that, yeah, you you cry too much. Um, <laughs> and the, this idea that he's moved to pity, I think, um, you know, I'm a big fan of Greek mythology. This, yep, you know, yep. this, there's a bit of the, the story of Orpheus here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, uh, again, a singer who went down to, to Hades and sang a song, before, you know, before Hades to, to have his, uh, his wife released. Yeah. Um, so there is a little bit of that here, but, but, Again, as always, it's the differences that make it significant. And that's right. And I, I think it's remember, this is Mandas, and he's uh, he's moved to pity, but I think he also knows that this is this is about fate. This is about the plan. Yeah. You know, Mandas more than anybody should know. Well, maybe not Manway. Manway knows Ilubatar's thought, I guess, exactly. more than anyone. More but, than anyone. but but Mandas should also know, you know, the the, the way the universe, the, the story, the, the cosmic does, drama, yeah. as I think Tolkien might say, yeah. is fated to play out. And I think um, I think there is obviously pity here, but I think the difference is this this just this sense of purpose that he knows Baron and Luthien have. Um, they're part of the plan. And yeah. he knows that they are fated to be released. Yeah. He, and he I don't something. I don't say that to diminish the pity. I just say it no, to not at all. really to kind of the, hold up just what Tolkien has done with this sort of, you know, a, a story that's similar to the stories we've seen before. He's just done something completely unique with yeah. it. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, we mentioned Nienna and I'm reminded of her because this song is the most sorrowful that ever the world shall hear. And oh, that's, yeah. that speaks yeah. so much to, to Nienna and and how sorrow is beautiful. Because this yeah. song is both. This song is the most fair that ever in words was woven and most sorrowful that ever the world shall hear. Mm-hmm. Sorrow is beauty. And we get that with Nienna earlier on, uh, that sorrow is sorrow is what makes that third theme beautiful. That's true. So, yeah, uh, it's it's hard for us, I think, to see sorrow as something that can create beauty, but... But it does. It does. It just doesn't yeah. really create it for the person going through it at the time, I think. <laughs> no, I, I think it may, you know, not to get too philosophical, but I think, you know, with hindsight, with yeah. the hindsight that comes from sorrow, you start to, you know, you reflect on the value of what it is you've lost. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt um, about that. And that does, that does, you know, create a beauty or make you aware of a beauty. Well, you know, I, I had not – I had skipped the next paragraph because of time, but I'm going to go ahead and read this next short paragraph before you get to talk, talk to us about the choice because I think it's yeah, important enough to do that. Mm-hmm. So Mandos, therefore he summoned Baron, and even as Luthien had spoken in the hour of his death, they met again beyond the Western Sea. But Mandos had no power to withhold the spirits of men that were dead within the confines of the world after their time of waiting nor could he change the fates of the children of Iluvatar. He went, therefore, to Manwe, lord of the Valar, who governed the world under the hand of Iluvatar, and Manwe sought counsel in his inmost thought where the will of Iluvatar was revealed. I thought that was worth talking about because we get that part about no power to withhold the spirits of men that were dead after their time of waiting. So, indeed, they do have a time of waiting. 
Uh, okay. That, that yes, clarifies that for us. Good that catch. answers the question. There is some sort of. So they do wait in the halls right. of Mandos. Whether it's a yeah. purgatorial purpose or not, I don't know. Whether everybody just has like a 30 day waiting period to get their safety <laughs> thing cleared, you know? <laughs> or they just their making, background check. Yeah, get their background check. It's kind of like buying a gun in California, yeah. you know? Are you on the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, or maybe they, you know, maybe it's like a quarantine. You don't want to take anything beyond the edge of the world. I don't know. That but guy might have wolf on him. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, basically, Mandos, as powerful as he is, doesn't have the power to withhold right. the spirits. And certainly, right. he can't change the fates uh, of either right. elves or men. So he goes to Manway. And then you get this next one, which I love. Yep. All right. These were the choices that he gave to Luthien. Because of her labors and her sorrow, she should be released from Mandos and go to Valimar there to dwell until the world's end among the Valar, forgetting all griefs that her life had known. Thither Baron could not come, for it was not permitted to the Valar to withhold death from him, which is the gift of Iluvatar to men. But the other choice was this, that she might return to Middle-earth and take with her Baron, there to dwell again, but without certitude of life or joy. Then she would become mortal and subject to a second death, even as he, and ere long, she would leave the world forever, and her beauty become only a memory and song. Wow. Just wow. There you go. The, these choices, uh, this is such a difficult choice. I mean, she could still live forever in Valimar and forget all of her griefs. Mm-hmm. This pain, yeah. the pain of being separated from Baron would be forgotten. Yeah. But... Yeah, one one must one must assume that she would forget Baron. She'd have to, to, to forget the otherwise, pain. You'd, yeah, yeah, you'd forget him. Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to forget the grief. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But Baron still can't or, go. Baron's Baron still not allowed. He cannot be. Baron, as a man, cannot be allowed to you know to stay in Arda. Yeah. But she can choose not to stay in Arda. And we're we're beaten over the head again about the fact that this is a gift. The, the death yeah, for Baron. That's true. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's true. It can, it's not permitted for the Valar to withhold, de- to withhold death from him. Right. <laughs> you don't usually withhold a bad thing. <laughs> you know? Right. It's not permitted. It's, it's, it's a gift. He cannot yeah. withhold it. Which is the yeah. gift of a Luvatar to man. Mm-hmm. But I love this and second choice. Oh, my. Yes. You can go back to Middle Earth. Baron can come with you. You each but get another you shot. you are not... You get another shot, but you are not guaranteed anything. No, no promises. You are not guaranteed life. You are not guaranteed joy. You will become a mortal. Truly, a, a mortal. Total mortal. I am a, saying you will become a woman. <laughs> mortal. A mortal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You'll become a, a, a human, and subject yeah. to a second and final death. Uh, Even and, as he, the the yeah. death of men, the true death. Yep. To the leave leaving the, the circles, circles of the world, world forever. forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jinx, you owe me a coke. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, I mean, and her beauty and her beauty become only a memory and song. I oh, love that idea. Oh, that, isn't it? That the singer would be remembered in song, and of course she is. She, yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. We've, we've been reading way. from that song. Oh, beautifully so. And she, she chooses that, doesn't she? As I'll, she does. I'll go ahead and read this last paragraph, and then we can talk. This doom she chose, forsaking the blessed realm, and putting aside all claim to kinship with those that dwell there. That thus, whatever grief might lie in wait, the fates of Baron and Luthien might be joined, and their paths lead together beyond the confines of the world. So it was that alone of the Eldalier she has died indeed, and left the world long ago.
Yet in her choice, the two kindreds have been joined, and she is the forerunner of many, in whom the Eldar see yet, though all the world is changed, the likeness of Luthien the Beloved, whom they have lost. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. You just, well, the first thing you do is you go straight to Arwen in your mind. I mean, it's oh, hard not abs- to, yeah. you know. Absolutely. The um, likeness. Yeah. The, the likeness, likeness and, and even the fate, you know, uh, the, true. the, the yeah, fact that's that true. she ends up uh, with this very similar fate uh, going back to episode 10 when, or no, you did it. It was on the Tolkien Reading Day special when you did the. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was, what was that? Episode six? Six. Yeah. Seven? I think it was six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. I, it is, uh, we talked about this. It is a rich, rich paragraph. Incredibly um, so. So, so There's so poignant. much here. I'm going to use that word again. And so it is. deeply, it is. um, it's just, it's just so moving. It just. She chose to give up immortality, mm-hmm. knowing nothing of what that future might hold, just mm-hmm. that their fates would be joined. Beyond yeah. the circles of the world, we don't know. We just don't know. Um, though I think Aragorn but, has something to say about that. I, I have to try and pull that up, but I'm, I'm thinking back to the appendix. And as he's dying, doesn't he talk about meeting her again beyond the circles of the world? He does, yeah. He says beyond the circles of the world, there's more than memory or yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, he – and yeah, I'm, it's, it's going to bug me now. But I know. Me um, too. I was going to try to dig it out. He does, but, he does say something to that effect. Um yeah, I'll try and to I find Luth- that while we're talking. I think Luthien has to has to know that in some sense too. I mean, she has to she has some Estelle here. Ah, and, some and, hope. I love that. Yeah, and Good and word. remember that Estelle is hope that's founded on something that's exactly. founded on on belief in something, as opposed to Amdir, which is like, I hope I win the lottery. Yeah, I hope it doesn't <laughs> rain tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, she has hope. Uh, she knows that there is something beyond. She knows that. Um, she knows that she'll be reunited with him. Yeah. I'm trying to find, um, I'm, I'm going to find it here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. let's see. I speak no comfort to you, to you for there is no comfort for such pain within the circles of the world. Uh, then he says, the uttermost choice is before you to repent and go to the havens and bear away into the West, the memory of our days together that shall there be evergreen, but never more than memory or else to abide the doom of men. So then she talks about that. She's going to do that. Uh, and then here we go. In sorrow we must go, but not in despair. Behold, mm-hmm. we are not bound forever to the circles of the world, and beyond them is more than memory. Farewell. Okay. I remembered that better than I thought I you did. You remembered okay. it very well. Um, yeah. I love that. And I love that it talks about despair. You know, we, and, and then Estelle, which is hope. You know, it, just recently I put that, uh, that essay up on hope and yeah. despair. And I didn't even touch on them, but that's another great example uh, that they don't, you know, that there's no despair. There's just hope. Yeah. Yeah. By the, by the time this releases, I will have put up something, uh, a yeah. little something on hope in my latest pondering, too. So awesome. I think it'll be well-timed. I'm, I'm glad very, you did that. Very, very well-timed. Um, yeah. I, I love this. It is. It, there's mm-hmm. such beauty here and such, again, sorrow and poignancy. Um, but, yeah, their paths lead together beyond the confines of the world. But what that means, of course, is of the Eldalier, she's the only one the, who's died and left the world indeed. Well, until right. Arwen. <laughs> right. Um, True. But, boy. the, the although, the, I, I, although I suppose, you know, we, we talked about the fact that, you know, I don't know, maybe maybe Arwen isn't 
considered because she hasn't she's not there she's not, she's not a, she doesn't exist yet yeah um, yeah yeah or, or it could also be that because she is um mostly elf but she is she's got a little very, bit very of, tiny of percentage of too. yeah that's mm-hmm. true um, i don't know it could be either she's counted of the Eldalier. i mean you know that's yeah i think it's that it's the former it's the, it's fact the former that in this as this is written she doesn't exist yet this is a history right. t- uh history text and yeah. people in the second age and third age are reading this, uh, you know, long before Arwen has come along. Yeah, so. yeah, that is that is a very that's a very likely possibility. Yeah. I think that's probably the more likely possibility. Makes sense to me. Um, uh, not that making sense I, to me is the standard by which you should measure <laughs> anything, for that matter. It sounds good, man. It sounds good while we're here talking about it. <laughs> um, but uh, the, you know, we talked about this. Uh, this she puts aside kinship. Yeah, with the elves, she's, she's in other words, she's not an elf anymore. She's no longer an elf. She is now human. Yeah, and Man, um, and in doing that, she she has joined the two kindreds. Yeah, and, and boy, um, that is so big. I yeah, mean, we'll, we'll see how big that is <laughs> in a couple of chapters, but that's big. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, goodness. Well, let's talk um, about that, right? The, yeah, the I think so. I'm, I'm trying to think through if there's anything else I want to talk about here. And before I, I we think, tackle uh, onto that, because that's really yeah. the next big piece, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, that's yeah, really the last piece. Um, yeah. Let's go ahead and dig into that, because that's where we've got some external material from uh, from histories, from letters, mm-hmm. things like that, that I think would uh, shed some light on it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, you know, we've talked about um, we've talked about the fact that this is a divine plan. Right. Um, We've been using that. We've been throwing that word around a lot. Um, We've been using that word a lot, but I think we know what it means. <laughs> we, we do for once know what it means. Um, <laughs> this was all part of Iluvatar's master plan. Um, yeah. All of these impossible chances, and I'm doing my air quotes one more time tonight. Chances. Um, <laughs> everything that's played out um, in, in, you know, the catastrophe and, and all the the just strange happenstance, if happenstance it is, has really just been <laughs> to to the fulfillment of this fate, and exactly, and to just bring the these two to bring these two kindreds together into one bloodline. And yeah. and those who have listened to some of our earlier episodes talking about elves and men uh, probably know where we're going with this, but mm-hmm. uh, we're going to go there anyway. Um, I think you know the the first the first thing I think we need to talk about is probably. Um, the fact that elves and men are really, though we call them the two kindreds, they really are two halves of the same whole, aren't they? They really are. Um, I've, I have a quote here from a letter of Tolkien that, that I think really shed some light on this two halves of the same whole idea. In letter 153, he, it actually was a letter that he never sent, but it was to the manager of a Catholic bookstore that had expressed concern about a few issues uh, theologically. But Tolkien that, says— Is that the Mr. Hastings? I think it is, yes. I think it is, yeah. And he says— Elves and men are evidently, in biological terms, one race, or they could not breed and produce fertile offspring. Even as a rare event, there are two cases only in my legends of such unions, and they are merged in the descendants of Eärendil. Uh, I would note that there are three, but I, he's not including Aragorn and Arwen, I think because they're each a partial mix. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in terms of pure elf and pure... Pure elf and man, man unions. There yeah. are two. And then he says he goes on to say that elves and men are represented as biologically akin in this history because elves are certain aspects of men and their talents and desires incarnated in my little world. 
They have certain freedoms and powers we should like to have, and the beauty and peril and sorrow of the possession of these things is exhibited in them. Mm. Elves are aspects of men. Right. I mean, we've, we've seen that before where elves are basically like man in a not fallen state or you know various yeah. other things that he's said. But that they really but are. Like, they're one race. Like like men, but more so almost. Like they're just they, – they have more power. They have more beauty. They have more kind of everything. Um, yeah. And when they fall, they fall harder, don't they? Yeah, that's certainly um, true. But um, yeah, that's that's really key is the fact that they are – they're really two halves of one race. And I mean that's yeah. that's actually the same letter – where Tolkien says um, that this whole case of Luthien's descendants was a direct act of God. Yeah. He says the, the entering into men of the elven strain is indeed represented as part of a divine plan for the ennoblement of the human race from the beginning destined to replace the elves. Wow. And we, you know, we talked to several episodes yeah. ago and we yeah. talked about the, the waning of the elves yeah, the that. waning of the elves and the, and the rising of men and, and the idea that men were always destined to replace elves as yep. uh, the, um, the, the, the dominion, the, 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 the children that have dominion over Arda. Right, the ones um, in charge, yeah. Yeah. Because the elves were going to fade. Because yeah. the elves were going to fade. They were, they were destined to fade from the beginning. Um, and this Luthien and Baron is um, really the first step in this ennoblement that he talks about, you know, this, he uses this word noble again in another letter that speaks of, uh, of these unions. And it's, um, so this is letter 144. And, uh, he says, uh, the elder children doomed to fade before the followers, that's men, right. And to live ultimately only by the thin line of their blood that was mingled with that of men among whom it was the only real claim to nobility. Hmm. So there he is talking again about the fact that elves really are elves are destined to fade from the very beginning. That their right. their their fate is to live on only in the the, you know, the ennobled the blood of men. of men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and that that you know that elven blood becomes the only claim to nobility in the line of men. Yeah. Um, and I think we just kind of need to ask the question. Which is what we see with the Numenorians, obviously. I mean, that's right. Absolutely, that's it right yeah. there. With the Numenorians and then again with Aragorn and Arwen, you know, right. their their marriage is sort of a kind of a, a replenishing of the Elvish strain right. in the kings of Numenor. Um, and it's it's just interesting. And I and I think if we want to look into the question of why, yeah, um, that was we have to go back. Ask. Yeah, well, I mean, we can go back to something that we did discuss back in episode 21, which is, you know, yes, men are intended to they're destined to have dominion over Arda. Yeah. But on their own, they don't have the wisdom to do it. Um, they're, they, we, <laughs> don't have enough love for Arda in and of itself. Um, hmm. Men would try to dominate it. Um, okay. We're frankly too Melkorish. There's actually, um, let me think, let me see here. I, actually, I'm going back to Morgoth's ring for this one. There's yeah. actually a note to the author Beth, which we've talked about a few times. And this is Tolkien's own note. This is on page 342 of Morgoth's Ring. And he says, The elves find their supersession by men a mystery and a cause of grief. For they say that men, at least so largely governed as they are by the evil of Melkor, have less and less love for Arda as itself and are largely busy in destroying it in the attempt to dominate it. Wow. That's indicting. <laughs> yeah, like, um, hey, I'm right here. Um, 
you're going to talk about me, at least talk about me to my face. <laughs> Come on, man. I, I see his point. Yeah, I mean, sure, it, absolutely. compared to the elves, I mean, compared to the elves who, who their existence is tied in with Arda. You know, they're immortal, right. but they're not really immortal, right? When do they die? They die when Arda dies. They die when Arda dies. Their they, existence they are... is fully tied in to right. the length of the, the world's existence. And and men have always been the guests. Right. In we're short lived, and so yeah. you know we're trying to get what we can while we can. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And okay. and so I think it's you know just it's uh, sort of an admission of the fact that the worst tendencies of men um, are to dominate and to destroy. And yeah. this strain of elf blood is um, is is really the, the the one thing that in Tolkien's conception can sort of lift men above. Uh, that baseness and give them the wisdom that they need to govern um, and, to, and to rule and to hold dominion um, in a noble way. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's not just elf blood. I mean, there's also Maya blood in there, too, as True. we've just seen with Luthien, you know, um, I'm thinking I think this is actually later in the book where he calls it a, a strain of the spirits divine that were before Arda. I remember that. You know? Yeah. So it's not just elven blood. It's also um, it's also Einarin blood that is has been entered into men to ennoble us to make us better. And um, that's why those who have it are the ones most fit to lead. That's what we see with Aragorn. Right. Um, that's why we that's we why... hear things like um, you know we hear things like how the 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 race of men has failed. You know, there's a yeah, lot of language yeah. of that type in Lord of the Rings. That's true. Well, and that's and that's why Aragorn and Arwen, who are both descendants of Baron and Luthien, and not, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're pretty distantly related. I think everybody knows right. that they're like, I don't know, 87th cousins, 17 times. I don't know. I, right, right. Somebody's going to know that off the top of their head. And I'm not that person. <laughs> but um, I, you know what? I, I counted it once. I can't remember what it was. They're exceedingly yeah. distant cousins. Yeah. Um, but that's why they're brought together at the end as king and queen uh, of Arnor and Gondor. They they not only have the wisdom that they learned from, from Elvish teachings, but they ultimately have their root in the Valar themselves through their bloodline, this true yeah. physiological, this biological link back to Valinor, yeah, uh, and that's it's the fulfillment of the destiny of the elves. Their their job, mm-hmm. like you said, to ennoble men, it's the preparation for the full uh, preparation for the fulfillment of men's destiny. So it is yeah. it is part of the plan. Uh, Baron right. Luthien are that first phase. It's the first time it happens, but obviously not the last. Um, right, and it's an illustration. We'll see it again pretty soon. Yeah, very soon. Yeah, just a few chapters. Uh, it's it's another illustration of this thing that we've seen before as a as a theme. This teamwork idea, different peoples working together, coming together in harmony, stronger together than apart. You got man, elf, and and Ainu. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Definitely important and stuff. Definitely. And by the way, if you're a first time reader thinking, well, wait, you just talked about there's another union coming up, and I thought the chapter just said that Luthien's fate was unique. Um, <laughs> yes, okay, it fair. is. Uh, the next one we're going to see is going to end a little bit differently, but yeah. we're not going to spoil that. We'll we'll get to that soon. But no. um, but now you yeah. begin to see, yeah. I mean, uh, now I'm going to digress a little bit. You begin to see why we and, and some other readers who uh, appreciate Tolkien's approach to this this blend um, have, when circumstances warranted it, been ready to mock the notion in Peter Jackson's Hobbit films that an elf and a dwarf <laughs> would somehow fall in love and form a union. See, when you study yeah. this and you realize why Tolkien had elves and men come together, the idea that that would happen with a dwarf is utterly absurd. It, it not only doesn't fit the way he created the Legendarium, there's no there's no reason for it. Uh, right. the, the master plan has nothing to do with the dwarves because the dwarves aren't in the master plan. <laughs> right. I mean, they, they, they're going to yeah. play a small role. We know that... It is said that 
Uh, they will yeah. help in the rebuilding of Arda, and, and that's awesome. Uh, but they weren't part of the original they, plan. They are, they're not part of the plan, and that's why, yeah, that yeah. So. that romance uh, seems silly. And I think uh, it, frankly, for me, and I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb here. I just I find it cheapens it. It does. I think it totally I, I don't. I don't like the idea that Baron and Luthien's romance, Aragorn and Arwen's romance, and right. um, world and two changing. are in Israel, though we haven't met yeah. them. The world changing romances that you know this is. They're all part of one bloodline of ennobled men. Yeah, that one is, master plan. Yeah, that is one master plan. That's one destiny for this one family. And to to just have a random elf and a dwarf falling in love, I yeah, okay, I'm glad they didn't get married. I'm glad they didn't have a kid. Oh, that would have been worse. Oh, that would have been heavens, worse. That would have been terrible. Terrible, but just terrible, the terrible. fact, Yeah, but just the fact that it's that it's hinted at for, frankly, I think, you know, the yeah. wrong reasons, you know, from a Hollywood perspective. Well, right. Uh, it just, I just find it cheapens uh, something yeah. that was so key to Tolkien's conception of his legendarium. And, and as you said, there's just no reason for it. None. None at all. But uh, Tariel mockery aside, that wraps it up for another episode <laughs> of the Prancing Pony podcast. We hope you Tariel fans will bear with us and uh, keep listening. As always, we thank you very much for joining us tonight. We, we apologize for our comments about Tauriel, but not too much. I was going to say, I don't think I apologize. <laughs> I just don't want to really have just hope, just massively hurt feelings. Just hope you don't, don't hate us for it. Uh, <laughs> and join us again <laughs> next time uh, when we'll read through Chapter 20 of The Fifth Battle, Near Nyth Arnoidiad. Oh, man, you got to say that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's right, folks. Bring your box of tissues. It's the Battle of Unnumbered Tears. <laughs> Near Nyth Arnoidiad. It is quite a tongue twister, folks, but get used to it. Uh, and remember, if you need cheap paperbacks to mark up, please use the links on our library page at theprancingponypodcast.com. We also have links to audiobooks and music CDs and a bunch of other cool things for your Tolkien collection. Yep, and if you haven't done so already, please subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. Uh, and if uh, if our subtle hint at the beginning of the episode wasn't <laughs> enough, uh, we do need your iTunes reviews, so please leave one if you haven't. We yep. greatly appreciate your support. It only takes a, a, a few seconds to a minute. Um, we're also on Stitcher and TuneIn, and thanks to those of you who are connecting with us on social media. Definitely. After all, this is The Prancing Pony, and we love the conversation we have in the common room on Facebook at The Prancing Pony Podcast, and on Twitter at Prancing Pony Pod. And social media, of course, is a great place to share our podcast as well, so please retweet us, share us, tell your friends. Anyway, one last thing as always, don't forget to send your questions, comments, or who you'd bet on to win a left-handed duel between Baron and Mythros to the Prancing Pony Podcast at gmail.com and we'll try to get him into our next episode. Well, two hours and ten minutes is still far too short a time to spend among such admirable listeners. But until next time. Farewell, friends. Farewell.